The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! It's one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah, we are back in business, back from vacation and ready to rock and get this season going with the Oakland Athletics as pitchers and catchers have reported. And we've waited and waited and waited and wondered, when are they going to start signing people? Next thing you know, you get a trade for a shortstop, you get some money back, and then you start spending that money. And boy, does this ball club look different. And there's a lot going on in Major League Baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr. has signed a record deal for a guy who's 22 years old. Other guys are starting to sign. The freeze is over. We've learned more about what the minor league baseball season is going to look like. But baseball is here. And next week when we got players arriving, before you know it, We're going to have games being played, and we got a great show for you today. So we've been covering all the teams, and that's what we did last year. We're going to do it again this year, and we go by division. Cody decided the first division would be the NL West. So we've done the D-backs. We've done the Rockies. We've done the Padres. Now we're going to do the Giants before we do the Dodgers. Susan Slusser who used to cover the A's, now covers the Giants for the Chronicle, is going to join us at 1.30. We're going to go live to spring training. Our buddy Lou Trevino is going to be here at 2 o'clock, and we're going to talk about this beefed-up bullpen. Ray Fossey, the face of the franchise, will be here at 2.30. We weren't here on Wednesday, so he'll be here on a Friday. Scott Emerson, your pitching coach, for the A's will be with us from spring training at three o'clock. And then Roxy Bernstein from ESPN, also an A's broadcaster, will be here at 3.30. Can't wait to talk to Emo about the new weapons he has in the bullpen. But a lot of you question, and you still do, and I understand. Trust the process. That's all I can keep telling you. Trust the process. And a lot of you go, ah, well, you think about it. Bringing in Yasmero Petit, Sergio Romo, Trevor Rosenthal, and Mitch Moreland, all for around what you're going to, you would have paid for Marcus Simeon if the Simeon deal you look at with the Toronto Blue Jays. You think about what you just did to your bullpen. You know how good Yesmero Petit has been for the A's. This guy's been incredible. I mean, he's been like that trusty blanket for Bob Melvin. Let's not forget. See, it's so hard to go back 
and go to baseball reference and look at 2020 because all of a sudden you see, oh, wow. Nobody, the stats are just odd. But in 2019, Yasmero Petit pitched in a league high 80 games and had a 2.71 ERA. Five and three in 80 games. You think about that. He threw 83 innings last year for the A's in the shortened season. Two and one with a 1.66 ERA in 26 games out of the 30. And we always joked with Liam Hendricks because Liam wanted to pitch the most games. Yasmero Petit was money in the bank. You pick up Sergio Romo. Sergio Romo, now in his career, guy's got 134 saves. Last year in the shortened season, had five saves. He brings a veteran presence with that flippity slider, that frisbee that he throws. And then you got Trevor Rosenthal. Well, all of a sudden, man, here you got a hard-throwing closer. This guy didn't give up a run with the Padres when he went from Kansas City over to San Diego last year and their run to the playoffs. And it's being reported about Mitch Moreland giving you a left-handed bat, giving you flexibility at DH, first base, moving people around. Mark Canna, maybe Mark can now play more outfield and is not going to DH as much. Or you, you, you have a system where... Certain days you're going to have Mitch DH. Certain days you're going to have Canna. And then, of course, Canna can play all three outfield positions. Flexibility. Days off. If Jed Lowry can win that position at second base, now Chad Pender can play all over the diamond. Bob Melvin loves the flexibility. I keep saying it. Trust the process. They've been to the playoffs three straight years. Now, I'm not sure all the negative Nancys out there who out on Twitter were doubting throughout the offseason if they've taken that back. Maybe they don't like the moves. The proof will be in the pudding. But I'm going to tell you right now where we stand. This is a team to be reckoned with. This is a team right now. I have said it all along, and I'll be, I, and I believe it even more now with the moves that have been made. This is the favorite in the AL West. And I know we put it out there on Twitter, and I've already gotten some negative, you know. <laughs> I've already got some. That's all right. Now, I will say this to some people where they're like, where, where have you been? I always take a little vacation before the start of the season. And this year we took a little vacation because we didn't even know when the season was going to start. You you know, you got to plan these things months ahead of time. You know, a couple months ago, we didn't even know if we were going to have a spring training. We didn't know, you know, we were talking shortened season, shortened spring, spring training happening in May. So that's why, folks, I haven't been around for the past couple of days. Because we didn't know. But it is great to be back. Great talking A's baseball. Cody, how are you? 
It's great to be back. I agree with you. And I thought the big news you were going to talk about today was the Mets signing Tyone Walker. I mean, that was a big, big move this morning. The Mets no, missed out on Bauer. That's not, no, that's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that I, I actually, you know what? I I think a um, a really good story because I, I I know we're all about big league baseball. I get it. But what COVID-19 is really going to take effect. Yeah, I understand the payrolls. I understand money at the big league level. I I understand money for ownership. All very, very important. But you have had a group of young professionals who have basically have had their career taken away from them. I mean, how many of these minor league baseball players had to just go get jobs and they're like, you know, I'm done. You only get you only get so many tries. You only get so many years. So to hear that we're actually going to have a minor league system, because these are the forgotten guys. And let me tell you, this is the future of your organization. This is why they rank every year. They say one through 30, who has the best minor league system because it matters. Some of these guys are your future stars. Some of these guys are are your backbone. They may not be stars, but they may be really good players that help you win championships. And they've gone away. And Cody, what it sounds like, we're going to get the triple A season. We're going to get double A A ball. We got to get these young, remember, young professionals back to playing baseball and get their careers going again. Yeah, and it's great to see that the minor league season is going to start. I think the AAA season will start on April 6th, and they're going to play like 142 games. And then Class AA and Class A will start on May 4th, and they'll play around 120 games this year, which is great because, you know, uh, also college baseball started today too, so college baseball is back. And that's a good thing because these are the players that filter into the draft along with high school seniors. So it's good to see baseball coming back with college baseball and the minor league system. And I'm really happy for a lot of the, uh, a lot of the minor league players, but a lot of the people that work in the minor leagues overall. Like our, our, our good friend Alex Jensen, he was supposed to be the face of the Stockton Ports last year. They get a chance to call games. Now he gets a chance to call games this year for the Ports. So um, I'm happy for him, but I'm happy that we're going to see a lot of these minor league players. How does Tyler Soderstrom develop? How does, you know, guys like, Jeffries and Caprillion, if they're not playing on, in the majors this year, when they start out, if they start in AAA, how do they progress? It's these guys. You're right; they're the pipeline of the future of organizations, and you got to see this development. And it's good to see that these guys are going to get a chance to develop with Fran Reardon and Bobby Crosby and others, and become future major league stars. Well, you know, two things that alarm you right out of the gate. Do 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 you have any audio about Sean Murphy suffering the collapsed lung? I do. Um, I have forced and Melvin. I we can play Bob Melvin breaking the new breaking it. Um, on no, what, I want to hear what David Force has has to say about it. Okay, I'll, there's two of them. I'll play the first one. It's something that just spontaneously happens. He literally woke up. Um, there's, I think there was speculation that maybe he he coughed really hard in his sleep. Um, and I, again, I'm going to screw it up. Bleb, B L E B is the word that I was told. It's a spontaneous thing that happens. A, a small hole is created in your lung. It's kind of a freak thing. Um, so, 
glad that, you know, when Sean woke up not feeling well, he, he did take it upon himself to go to the ER. There was a chance to avoid surgery here, um, but there, he also was advised that there's a, there's a chance of recurrence uh, sort of within a, a short period of time. And I don't think he liked the idea of just sort of being out there in the world, not knowing if this was going to happen again. So, like I said, he got the surgery done, took care of it, and, and only he's going to send him back a few weeks. That's scary. I mean, that's really scary. Can you imagine being in bed, you cough, you wake up, and next thing you know, you got a collapsed lung, and you got to go to the ER? I mean, he's a big, strong kid, but, man, I mean, that's that, that's really scary stuff. You got one more from David? Yeah, he talks about the one we can see Murphy return, so uh, here it is. I've talked to Sean a couple times. He's doing really well. Saw the doctor yesterday, and I believe uh, was getting in the car today to head to Arizona. So uh, he's been advised not to fly. I think it's for four weeks post-surgery. So he's going to drive here. We'll arrive and do intake you know, sometime after the weekend, probably. And, um, you know, I think Bob told you guys, we, we expect, you know, hopefully baseball activity uh, around the first of the month and then getting in games midway through March. So uh, obviously it's just one of those things that popped up. We're glad he got it taken care of, got the surgery done. And, um, and we, you know, medical staff thinks, you know, very good chance he'll be ready for opening day. That's good news, and I'm glad he got it taken care of. I just that that I mean I, I can't imagine that'd be scary stuff. Wake up in the middle of the night, you got a collapsed lung, uh, and then Frankie Montas has tested positive for COVID nineteen. He has some symptoms, so you know, like what we saw with with any of the players, you'll quarantine, and then you're going to have to pass a couple tests that show up negative, and then he'll be ready to rock again. But you know. No spring training is flawless. There are going to be issues. There are going to be times where things happen. You know, I'll never forget last year. I want to say we were over at the White Sox. Who shares is the White Sox and the Padres in Peoria? Uh, no, it's White Sox and Dodgers share. Is it Camelback Ranch? White Sox and Dodgers. And... I was doing the Bob Melvin show and it hadn't been announced yet. And Bob during the interview, well, the, you know, the PR had announced it to the press yet because this was well before the game that AJ puck was being shut down. And that was like, Oh, things happen in spring. And boy, Cody is like feeling like he's smelling like a rose right now. As there's now more talk. I mean, you talk about beefing up a bullpen. Yasmero's back. Rosenthal. Sergio Romo. And potentially A.J. Puck in the pen. So Melvin spoke on Wednesday. Here's what Bob had to say. It, it, I have the quote. We're still trying to we're still kind of figuring out what we're going to do with A.J. Puck this season. We're still trying to build him up as a starter. Whatever or not we whether or not we use him out of the bullpen or a starting role, we're not sure yet. So you're telling me there's a chance that my idea of him getting saves and pitching in long relief and being a reliever can happen this year. Uh, as soon as I saw that, I immediately sent that quote to you, and I, I couldn't stop gloating about it. And I believe your response back to me was, start making the T-shirts now. 
Yeah, well, yeah, you're going to hold on. If it happens, it's going to be unbearable, folks. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be unbearable. How about Bob Melvin? Let's hear from Bob Melvin on the bullpen after Rosenthal's signing. Oh, this is prior to Rosenthal. This is from Wednesday, so this is prior to Rosenthal. But he was talking about the bullpen. So it, was, it was unconfirmed? Is, is it where – had, well, it, has it, had it been rumored at this point? No. So it was actually funny because it happened on Thursday, and Lou Trevino spoke at 8 a.m., and I think I actually have the audio of Lou talking about the bullpen, and he goes, well, I didn't know, I didn't know about the Rosenthal signing. Uh, that's you know, He's talking about, like, this happened Thursday, and the audio from Bob was from, from Wednesday. But here's Bob talking about the bullpen on, on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, hypothetically, if all these things fall into place, I, I'd feel just as good about where, where we were. So it's always been a strength of ours, you know, the – like I said, continue to, to, to look and try to improve upon that. You know, you look at the, the young starters for the most part that we have too, and then you couple that with a, a good bullpen. You know, it's for a team that's, that's you know, can score some runs like we can, put you in a pretty good spot. But we still have a little bit of time to, to confirm all this. You know, it went from a standpoint of who's going to close – to a standpoint of it's going to be hard to make this bullpen. You know, if you're going to have, I don't know, 13 arms, the question really is flipped. There was a little bit of the unknown of who's going to take the ball in the ninth, how are they going to get saves, to... Man, you're really gonna have to pitch lights out in in spring to make it north with the with the big club. It's back to being a real strength, and some guys who you know the way they viewed spring training coming in, they may be like, man, if I don't throw the ball well, I could be back in Vegas. It dramatically looks different than 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 what we were just talking about a week ago. And there's a bunch of guys on this roster now that have the ability to get you saves. So if you're wondering how you're going to replace Liam Hendricks, well, the model, and we talked about the last time we were on the air, of what the Rays did in the 60-game schedule and what they're trying to do this year, it's, it's not just having one guy. Well, Rosenthal is healthy and throwing the ball like he can, he would be the guy. But you now have a bunch of power arms and even two guys that don't have power arms and Yesmero and Sergio Romo, but these guys can all get saves. I mean, you could have a group of players that you could use on different nights as your guy to get the final three outs. Sorry, I was looking, trying to confirm. You were right. That Bob Bob Melvin audio was from yesterday after the Rosenthal reported signing. So that's on I me. I was just reading your. I was reading yeah. your writing. Yeah, I, I didn't look at the. I didn't look at the document that I created. You know, for the I update every day for the show, and I didn't even look at it. So that was like I made that up. I was reading your writing on the script. But you're right, though. Like, um, I didn't. I don't actually have the. I I have the audio saved, but it's on my other computer, and I'll have to get it maybe for later or another time. But. They, someone asked David Force about, I think it was Shane and Ruben asked David Forst about, you know, the different arm angles of the, of the pitches you brought in, like Caleric and these guys, if, you know, sidewinders and all that stuff. And he goes, 
you know, the Dodgers and, and Rays are, are the best at this, and they made it to the World Series last year, the other two best teams, and pretty much saying, like, you kind of want to emulate what they do. And it's interesting to me, like, because the Rays do have that kind of bullpen with all these different guys that can get saves, as we talked about you know, a lot on this program. 12 different guys during the regular season, 13 including the postseason get a save. Am I saying Trevor Rosenthal is going to be the only closer the A's use this year when he's confirmed as a signing? Uh, probably not. I think there's going to be other guys that get saves. I think we'll see uh, a guy like Sergio Romo get some saves, maybe Trevino, maybe Wendelkin. Uh, Jake Diekman will be a guy as well. And Because what we put the over-under at maybe five guys getting saves this year, I think we could be right around the number, maybe over. Um, especially if my guy A.J. Puck gets just one, just one, and then I'll be correct. But I'm really looking forward to what this bullpen can do because they were the be- one of the best, if not the best, last year when it came to a lot of statistics. I think they were the best when it came to ERA in baseball. And you you have to replace the the reigning AL reliever of the year. And I think that David Forrest and Billy Bean in the front office have done a great job replacing Liam Hendricks with the guys that they have brought in and the guys we're waiting to see can be confirmed. But the Rosenthal signing is great because his fastball velocity – I mean, every year is around 98 miles an hour. Um, that's that's pretty good for a guy that's a closer and you're hoping to replace. A guy that was out of baseball a couple years ago who then in 2019 struggled, and he bounced back last year really well in Kansas City, especially in uh, San Diego. So um, I'm excited to see him pitch uh, once he gets here at the club and you know hopefully close out some games for the A's. By the way, uh, just breaking news in the football world, Carson Wentz gone. The Eagles have now released Deshaun Jackson. Cal's Deshaun Jackson. That whole thing is – that whole saga is quickly is weird because they draft Wentz. They give up all those draft picks to move up to get him. Um, Oh, man. And then essentially they trade him to Indy, and then now they're talking about bringing in another quarterback to battle with Jalen Hurts, who apparently they don't think is the guy when they thought he was the guy. So Philadelphia back to being dysfunctional when it comes to the Eagles. Unbelievable. I, I want to address this one because I think it's funny because I I don't address anything on Twitter unless you at me because then now you've included me to where Hitman D, his handle is at Raider Hitman. Let's see how many followers it has. He's got 38 followers. He says, is there a bigger bootlicker for the A's than this guy? I hope at Dave Cavill pays him well to be ownership mouthpiece like this day after day. Now, this is coming from a Raider fan who never makes the playoffs. I worked for the Raiders. They, I did the Raiders pre and post game show for years. I did the Raiders sideline on the Ra- I Raiders never make the playoffs. Ever. They made it one year under Jack Del Rio. One year. Like, people don't realize, A's have been in the playoffs 12, 13, 14, 18, 19, 20. They're about to do it four years in a row. <laughs> really? I mean, do people not understand being like how many teams are not in the playoffs in baseball four years in a row? I, but I thought bringing Gruden back was going to get him a Super Bowl and a championship. Oh, yeah, how's that working? <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. You're a Raider fit, Raider hitman. You want to go check your playoff record? I just speak the facts. And that's the other thing that gets me. No, I don't even want to say it. 
I've never, you know, if you check, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm not. Probably a good idea. I'm, I'm going to restrain <laughs> myself because I think people talk a big game, but they don't really understand when they, if they really looked in the mirror, their friend, them versus what you see with other teams. Right? Uh, like yeah, no I agree. Way, there's no way you honestly could look in the mirror and go, do you think we're paying the same prices that Boston Red Sox fans pay? Do you think you're paying the same price? You think you have the same cable deal that the Boston Red Sox or uh, whether the Yankees or, you know, that was a big thing about Steve Cohen and the Mets about uh, yes. And that's not yes. And it's uh NY sports S- network. SNY. SNY network. Like, do you really understand the financials that happen? And like, you know, like, you know, who has one of the smallest cable deals and it's hard to believe they're spending this money. Bravo is the Padres. They don't have a very big deal. But it's like, it's like you look in the mirror and you go, I have these expectations, but yet, what do you actually deliver on a day-to-day basis? I'll just leave it at that. The demand. Hey, get into the playoffs three straight years. Not good enough. All right. You can be a Pirates fan and not go to the playoffs for 20 years and be 500 every year. Sorry, Cody. Uh, uh, well, they weren't they weren't even 500 every year. That's that was what made it even worse. Hey, they did make a big signing today. The Todd father officially a pirate. That's really going to put hey, butts in the seats. Great example. When was the last time we were in the ballpark? The wild card game versus the Tampa Bay Rays in 2019. How many people were there? 50 was it 55,000 almost. Okay. Yeah, so everybody the offseason, oh, they don't do this, oh, they don't do that. But all of a sudden, they get in the postseason, 55,000 show up. We deal with this every year. We deal with it every year. I know for what was it, 2012? Take the tarps off. I mean, we deal with it every year. There's the criticism. They don't do enough. They don't sign this. They don't sign that. And all of a sudden, you're getting ready to go to spring training, and you look at all these moves, and you go, this is this is." This is a this is a ball club that's going to compete for the division. They people, were people picking the Rays to be in the World Series last year. I don't think so. I think it was the other team in that division, the uh, Yankees. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Your fans, you're passionate. We love it. We love it. I mean, if you want to call me out, I, I get it. I mean, I mean, as a Raider fan, I don't think you have a. I don't think you have a branch really to stand on if you're talking about postseason and winning and winning on a consistent basis. Am I? Hey, I'm the first one to criticize this team when they don't do well, but they've been doing well. Hitman, when they're under 500, there's been years where I'm hammering this team, hammering them when they deserve it, but I'm going to hammer a team. That's won 97 games two straight years, and then last year won the division. Those are the guys you hammer. Player movement is going to happen, and it happens with everybody. There isn't a team that this isn't going on with. Things change. And let me tell you something. 
Cody, you went through all these long contracts, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, a lot of the uh, every major guy that signed an extension under the age of twenty-five, pretty much. Yeah, but I'm talking about the older guys who signed the extensions. Oh, like the Kevin Browns and the Griffies and all that. I did that a while ago too. Yeah. Oh, it is just bad. It is just like you want to ink these guys up as they get into their mid to late thirties. That's why I like the Tatis Junior deal. Is you're going to get age what 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. You've inked up nine, you know, eight, nine years of his prime. And as he get older, they don't think he's a full time. There's a lot of people, they could be wrong, but there's a lot of people think he won't be a shortstop long term. But he's athletic enough, you can put him in the outfield. But I'd rather buy a guy till 36 and then I can walk away from him. You know, buying or selling, will Manny, buying or selling, will Manny Machado or Fernando Tatis Jr. end their contracts down south? Oh, it's tough. I'm going to sell, though. Yeah. I think Tatis stays longer, but. Yeah, will he be there till he's thirty six? I would bet no. I, I I gave you this before uh, before we came on. Fernando Tatis's deal ends in twenty thirty five. The Mets will still be, Mets will still be paying Bobby Benilla. <laughs> the greatest deal in the history of sports. All right, coming up next, we're doing our tour. You know, we started with the NL West. We'll go to the Central, then we'll go to the East. And then we'll flip over to the American League, do the American League East, the Central, and then end with the American League West. So up next, we're going across the bay. We'll talk to Susan Slusser about the San Francisco Giants. What will they look like in 2021 right here on A's Cast Live? Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. That's right. So we've done the Diamondbacks. We've done the Rockies. We have done the Padres. We haven't done the Dodgers yet, right? No, we're going to do the Dodgers on Monday with our friend Joe Davis. So that's when we'll do the Dodgers. Man, they picked up Trevor Bauer, and that just... You look at the amount of talent that the Dodgers have, it's just off the charts. And... Where did they recently get ranked for their minor league system? I believe it was uh, – I'd have to look because everyone had it differently, but it, was, it wasn't it was in the lower half of baseball, let's say that. Yeah. An embarrassment of riches for those guys. But today we're looking at the San Francisco Giants. Going to have a lot of money coming off the books after this year. Here is Susan Slusser. As we do every offseason and through spring training, we cover every single team, every single division. We have started this year with the National League West. We have talked about the Friars. We have talked about the D-backs. We have done the Colorado Rockies. And we are now going to do the San Francisco Giants with their new beat writer from the San Francisco Chronicle, one of our all-time favorites. Susan Slusser is with us here on A's Cast Live. And, Susan, 
Who are the 2021 San Francisco Giants? Well, Tony, you got me. As you know, I've just made this switch. No, you know what? I, I, I think I'm finally kind of up to speed, despite, uh, you know, my complete lack of familiarity with the 40-man roster before uh, about a month ago. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure they know. They're in a division where, obviously, the Dodgers and the Padres are going to be overwhelming favorites. They have a ton of money coming off their books next off season, And I think they feel like, you know, a little bit kind of like how the A's plan has been. You know, they've got a young core coming. Uh, they've got a few young guys in the big leagues now who look pretty good. And they can really, really go out and pick up some major pieces next offseason. And we know that is going to be one heck of a free agent class. So this year, I think, for the Giants is, being, is about making incremental improvements and trying to compete as well as they can. You know, they, they just missed out on expanded playoffs last year. Okay? Well, they were in it down to the last day. So, you know, I don't know if they can do that over a full 162 without expanded playoffs. But I think they'd like to keep it interesting. They'd like to have, you know, a, at least a winning record if possible. And I think they could do that because they've made some really nice, pretty subtle moves. Farhan Zaidi makes, you know, operates very much in the money ball, Billy Bean, David Force tradition, because of course he does. That's where he's been his first 10 years. And he's made such savvy moves. He and Scott Harris have made such savvy moves this offseason, in my mind, led by Tommy Listella. You know, a guy that the A's actually outright, even during the season last year, said this is a guy we would love to have back. He has as good at-bats as anybody in the big leagues. So um, that's a nice pickup. And he will be there, you know, for three years. So he's a guy who will be able to help them for a while. Uh, They've kind of added some really nice bullpen arms. They've added a couple of starters. They haven't announced Aaron Sanchez yet, but I reported uh, earlier in the week that they have signed Aaron Sanchez to go along with the other off-season pickups for the, the rotation, Alex Wood, and, of course, Anthony DiSclefani. These are nice, solid baseball moves. Uh, nothing really splashy, nothing really sexy. Jake McGee is the closer. Uh, then, you know, some other pieces here and there. I like it, though. I like it. They're not going to be favorites, but they weren't going to be favorites. If they'd added Trevor Bauer, I don't think they would have been the favorites in the division. They just weren't going to. So why go out and spend a fortune when you can make a lot of nice little moves, get a lot better, get some experience for your younger guys, those guys who missed out last year on the minor league season, get a full minor minor league season this year, and maybe they're ready next year. And, uh, there's a plan. That's what I like. There's a plan in place and you can see it. Yeah, this is a business and this seems what the Giants are doing in other teams. It's a smart business move as getting back from vacation today with my wife on the phone trying to get her vaccine set up as a teacher. You know, you kind of prepare for next year from a standpoint of hopefully everybody's vaccinated. Hopefully everybody's back in the ballpark. And you'll have a ton of money to spend and hopefully business as usual. And Susan, they have a tremendous amount of money potentially coming off the books. When you start looking at Posey and Belt and Crawford and Cueto, I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, Cueto's got a little bit of a pricey buyout, but yeah, it's uh, it's really pretty staggering what they're looking at next year with all of that. 
you know, it's possible one of those guys comes back on kind of a legacy deal. Buster's the one who's probably the most obvious. I don't, that's going to be interesting because I don't know. Zaidi doesn't really have connections to those championship teams. Certainly the fans love Buster. He was there for all of them. He wants to stay a giant. Would he take a pretty significantly smaller amount to stay with the Giants? I don't know. That's going to be an interesting question because, I, you know, the Giants aren't going to get stuck with a long-term big deal for an aging catcher. They're just not going to. That's not how that front office is going to operate. I'd be stunned anyway if they did. Uh, but that's going to be interesting. But I could see Buster coming back in some sort of, uh, you know, uh, lesser deal and, um, you know, kind of almost maybe finishing out his career with the Giants and then going straight into some sort of coaching, mentoring, special advisor kind of role. I think he'd like to be a Giant for life. So that's something to keep an eye on. But just his presence this year, uh, so many people have told me Buster's absence last year when he opted out was huge. It's probably a four or five game swing for them. That would have put them in the postseason with the expanded playoffs. So uh, working with all these new pitchers is big. Working with the young pitchers is big. Uh, the, just the experience and the leadership, the respect. Uh, Buster Posey is a really interesting guy for a lot of reasons this year and bears watching. You know, last year's short, uh, shortened season, something happened for them that I can't remember the last time that happened. The offense carried the pitching, but it was a short <laughs> season. Uh, do you see that happening again? it's impossible to say this year. You know, they've changed the ball again. The reports are that it's not as lively. Uh, Obviously, they brought their fences in a little bit there. So I think that helped them. But with the ball getting dead, they just keep keep bringing the fences further and further in. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You know, it's a a better lineup. It's a stronger lineup. The addition of La Stella, in particular, lengthens everything. And he's so versatile. You know, they might be without belts a little bit. Initially, uh, he could play first. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some good bats who right now playing time is looking a little iffy for guys who contributed a lot last year, Flores and Solano in particular. That to me maybe points to somebody veteran like Evan Longoria potentially being the guy that actually winds up with maybe squeezed a little bit with the at-bats, particularly since right now they are not going to have the DH in the NL. You know, that would have been a spot where you could run somebody through Uh, That's going to affect Buster Posey, too, after coming back from not playing all of last year and going back behind the plate, no DH. You know, how much rest is he going to need? So uh, they picked up Kurt Casale, very nice, very solid backup catcher. He's worked with a lot of the Giants pitchers uh, in Cincinnati previously. So that was very that was also a very smart, savvy move. But, uh, yeah, I don't know necessarily who's going to get squeezed out of it fast, but they have a veteran or two who might find themselves a little bit upset about some of the playing time. Are they as high on Joey Bart now as they were when Farhan took over? You know, Joey Bart, because of Buster opting out, really got thrown into the deep end too early. I don't think anybody's going to hold that against him. I think they still regard him highly. He wasn't ready. That wasn't his fault. Then there wasn't any place to go play, you know, AAA, real competition. So they'd like him to play AAA all year. I I suspect it will be all season, barring injury, of course. Uh, You know, hey, that could change. If he just absolutely tears it up, he he could come up a little earlier. But they're very happy with the the catching tandem that they've got right now, and, and they should be. 
the uh, other thing to consider here is even with Barton the full, they went out and got Patrick Bailey in the first round last year. He will be in camp, another catcher, very highly regarded. And, um, you know, that, that frees them up if they have two great young catching options. They've got one coming a few years later. They've got Bart, you know, now. They could trade one of them if they're both looking good. That's, and that's great depth, you know. Catching is so important, so, so valuable. Teams are always looking for it. So a good young catcher in a trade, uh, that could just, you know, that could make all the difference. Say the Giants are in it somehow in the midseason and they really need to add an extra starter. They could trade Joey Bart and get probably somebody pretty phenomenal. You know, when you start thinking down the line here the next couple of years, whether you're the Rockies, the D-backs, or the Giants, it's not like the Dodgers and the Padres are a bunch of old guys. It's not like the old Yankees <laughs> where you got Teixeira and A-Rod and Jeter. I mean, these are teams that are young. They got guys in their prime. They've got young star players that are entering their prime. Just how are you feeling as an executive when you look south and that two-headed monster, I mean, how are you going to compete with these two franchises just in the next couple of years? Well, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, if the Giants were in a different division, I think they'd feel an awful lot better. One thing that Farhan uh, mentioned on a conference call last week was, you know, the good thing with a 162-game season is they're not just playing the NL West again like they essentially they did last year. Uh, sure, the schedule is uh, an unbalanced one, and the bulk of the games are going to be in the NL West. But they can go basically beat up if they, you know, if they're a decent team on the lesser teams in the other divisions. Maybe that helps them out a little bit. But yeah, that's that's a great. You know, the Dodgers and the Padres are not going anywhere for quite a while. You know, and and also teams that are very well run and have some pretty good resources. So. You know, San Diego is always a, a team that seems to promise a lot and has trouble delivering. So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know ever what to make of them. We hear about all their big moves every year, and it just doesn't seem to translate. I think this is a year they really need to do something, or I don't necessarily know how long they keep that group together. You know, maybe something's not clicking. Uh, the Dodgers, I think the Dodgers are going to be the force in the division for quite some time still. So. You know, I know you talk to a lot of people uh, around the game, and recently with the Elvis Anders trade, we had your friend on, Evan Grant, from the Dallas Morning News, and he talked about how, you know, they're going to have fans in the stands in Texas. Uh, you know, vaccinations, hopefully everybody's vaccinated July, maybe by August. What are you hearing around the league, different teams, and having fans in the stands maybe by day one? It just, you know, MLB has decided, uh, and I think for uh, largely for legal reasons, uh, that they have to just go team by team. They're not going to say like, hey, it's either everybody has fans or nobody has fans. They have to go by local officials. And I think they've decided, I guess, for the sake of some revenue rather than zero revenue. Uh, and, you know, the visiting teams do get a, a, a chunk of the revenue when they're when they are playing on the road that they'd rather do it that way. So it's really going to be a function of which lo local jurisdictions are allowing that. Uh, so if and when San Francisco and uh, Alameda counties will allow for it, we'll see fans in the stands at whatever capacity is allowable. The Giants have made provisions 
for limited capacity at Oracle. They're uh, studying already things like how do you stagger entrances and exits, right? That's going to be the trickiest thing. You don't want to, you know, jam tons of people jamming one exit as soon as the game ends. Um, they're uh, figuring out what they're going to do for concession options. They've uh, got like every, almost everybody now. So they'll have limited fans at Scottsdale Stadium and they run spring training there. So that's almost like a test run. You know, how are we going to do this? They're still selling seats in pods of two and four, which I think is fairly standard. I've seen a few teams that will sell in groups of six to families, socially distanced, and, you know, study the best practices that come out of that and what other sports leagues are doing. Right? I have a feeling we are going to see fans and stands even in the Bay Area sooner than later. And then I think about you and the way, you know, I've watched you cover a major league baseball team for a long, long time. And I know you're, you're not thrilled with the zoom calls. Uh, are you going to be able to travel at all? Are you going to spring training? I mean, I, what are you planning? Yeah, I'll be at spring training. The media is allowed um, to be on the premises starting Monday. So I'm, I'm driving down on Sunday, um, the world's most fun drive. Uh, and <laughs> So I'll be there for the duration. Uh, and, you know, it's all TBA. If, if the regular season road games are all Zoom, there's just no reason to go because they're on TV. We're not going to have any sort of real um, access that we wouldn't have otherwise to, to justify the expense. You know, well, certainly we would be at every home game. Um, but I think things are going to start shifting. Uh, there's even the possibility of maybe doing socially distanced, like one-on-one interviews during the spring towards the end, if people feel comfortable, uh, that's something MLB is kicking around. Uh, if things like that start to be more the norm, I would imagine we'd be back traveling, but you know, there's also considerations about the safety of travel. It's, hey, Arizona's fine. I can drive there. Seattle turning around immediately driving to Seattle for the Giants opener. If there's, you know, just Zoom access, I don't think I would do that. But yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get back to normal. You know, I, I like to keep tabs on everybody and talk to people in the clubhouse. That's the way you're supposed to, you know, that's where you get your stories. That's where you get to know people. That's where they get to know you and know where they can trust you. And if they can tell you this little funny story, this little, um, you know, something or other new that they're working on and stuff, you're just not going to get in a Zoom call. And I've got the issue that I am in the first year on a beat. And besides Listella, who I really only know through Zoom also, I, I don't know any of these guys. You know, so, um, you know, I know Andrew Bailey, I know Gabe Kapler, I know Farhan Zaidi, and a few other Giants executives. And the 40-man, nope, I do not. So uh, back to normal would be great for me. I, I miss just shooting the breeze with guys and talking baseball. That is where we get our best stories, and that's, as you know, because that's you do the same exact thing, and that's how the fans get the best information. People that are interested in teams should want reporters to get back to full access because that's where the fun stuff comes out. Um, a big Zoom with 12 or 15 reporters, guys are not going to be telling you like some funny, cute little story or some, you know, volunteer, some little extra little tidbit of information that might pique your interest and that you might follow up on. It's just very rarely going to happen. We, we need that full access for everybody. Let's end on this from where we were last year, kind of with all the sports, you know, if someone got COVID, it was like, Oh my God. And there was kind of a panic now, like what we saw with the NFL was we're, we're moving on. And even Adam silver with the NBA recently has said guy gets it or a couple guys we're moving on. 
How do you think baseball is different now in 2021 than they were last year with guys potentially getting COVID uh, positives? I don't really know. Um, certainly, you know, the, the A's announced that Frankie Montas has uh, co- acquired um, a positive COVID test and it actually has some symptoms. So he won't join the team until he's okay. That was before uh, the, the A's even had their intake testing. So um, they're still following, I think, the same general procedures. I just don't think they're same, the same sort of necessarily freak out level, but it'll depend on the circumstances. If you get a team that has a, a bunch of positive COVID cases um, and they start to include people in, in higher risk groups, older coaches, et cetera, I think there will be, you know, as much concern as there ever would have been. And the A's are a team that, uh, you know, have a minor league coach, Webster Garrison, who was severely affected by COVID last year, was on a ventilator for a very long time, had a couple of strokes, um, was really, um, you know, his life was probably forever changed by COVID, you know, pretty, pretty incapacitated. So uh, the A's certainly are a team that are going to be taking it extremely seriously um and they're going to be following everything to the absolute letter so i don't know how much difference there's really going to be susan you know how much you mean to me how much you mean to my family i've told you this many times as my kids uh respect you so much my twins as they also want to go to stanford cross your fingers i'm trying to tell them it's not that easy to get in but i love (laughs) you i think at this point where we've been in our lives we need to tell people we love them. I love you. What you've meant to me in my career means so much. And uh, good luck on this new journey. And yes, you're just going to be 13 miles away. Yes, that's right, Tony. I'm not. I'm not really leaving you. I'm not leaving forever. Everyone always comes back to Oakland, and I love your girls. You're actually like not my favorite county. I've got two twin counties that are ahead of you, so I'm rooting for them on the Stanford thing. And if I can put in a good word with any, I don't think anybody I, I know except for maybe like. Tara Vanderveer is even still at Stanford, so I'm I'm rooting for him. Smart kids. Be well, be safe, and uh, enjoy Arizona. Thanks, Tony. All right. We'll talk sometime later, I'm sure. Susan Slusser from the San Francisco Chronicle covering the 2021 Giants, which, very obvious, it's about shedding a lot of dough. And there's quite a few teams that are going to be like that because you want to wait for this huge free agent class, allegedly, and then hopefully back to normal. Fans in the ballpark. Hopefully fans are fired up to get back into the ballpark and pack the house and uh, we put this all behind us. It technically, if there was any a time to say this isn't a bad strategy, I guess, Cody, you could say this was the time. Yeah, and with what they're trying to do specifically, they're trying to just wait it out with those major contracts, um, Posey and Crawford and Belt and Cueto. Uh, they got Samarja off the book, so, I mean, there's there's one guy that's not, not, no longer there. Uh, you have Longoria, too, and as Susan mentioned, you know, he might be a guy that loses at bats for them, which – you're paying him a lot of money to not play, essentially, when he doesn't. But uh, Donnie Barrels, as they call him, Donovan Solano, he was, he's was he been good the last few years for the Giants. He's been a 300-plus hitter for him the back-to-back years. I know last year was shortened. but And then, you know, Tommy LaSalle added to the mix. They have an interesting team. Their pitching was not very good last year. They ranked, like, it was when you think of the Giants, you think of 
them being carried by Lincecum and Kane and Bumgarner and Cueto and these guys. I mean, it's Kevin Gosman and Di Scalfini and Alex Wood, different guy Aaron Sanchez, who was out of baseball last year after having Tommy John. So they're making interesting moves, and they signed Jake McGee to be their closer, you know, potentially. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I was listening to uh, someone earlier who all of a sudden he believes Gabe Kapler is beloved, should be beloved by by Giants fans, and it's like, wow, that really that narrative on him has changed really quickly. Because uh, remember how everyone hated him, um, even in Philly. Like Philly hated him, uh, just the way he was an in-game manager. They they couldn't stand him. Uh, we like Cappy. He's a friend of the program. Uh, he was nice to us. He gave us time. He gives good answers. He's smart. I think they're heading in the right direction. I mean, they're still not anywhere near where the A's are when it comes to winning. But the Farhan's doing some you know nice things with their farm system when they're building. They have a top ten farm system now with a lot of the guys. Joey Bart's the biggest key for them and how well he plays going forward, especially this year. Because if Buster decides to retire, then he's the, the guy. They also have Patrick Bailey, who they drafted in the first round last year, too. So that's interesting. Hey, but. You know, speaking of baseball in 2021, Bob Melvin talked about what baseball will be like in 2021. Let's hear that cut. Yeah, he was talking about the baseball overall. It was interesting. Martin Gallegos asked him the question. I Like anything, it's a we'll see. I mean, if if it doesn't travel as far, does that mean it was juiced before? I, I, I don't know. There's still some, some pretty strong guys in this game, and, you know, when they square them up, it's going to go over the fence. So that's kind of the unknown. You know, you've heard a lot of things about whether or not it's lighter. You hear things about the core and being centered and so forth. And then you look at the numbers, especially last year in the postseason with all the home runs and so forth. You know, I think uh, – you know, baseball's always trying to tinker. MLB's always trying to tinker and, and get the best product out there. So uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, it can be tough to hit a homer at Oakland at night anyway. But, uh, you know, you find out really pretty quickly when you have these balls and, and batting practice potentially looks a little bit different. And I'm eager to find out as well. Yeah, what's so different about Bob is Bob actually pitches batting practice. Let's get back to that because uh, don't we got Lou Trevino coming up? Yeah, he's going to be calling us shortly. So, All right, coming up next, Sweet Lou right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. Shamanaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. All right, we're waiting on Lou Trevino down in Mesa, Arizona. Just what is everything like? What was it like last year? What is it like this year? What does he think about the moves that have been made? You know, Lou has always been a team first type of guy. And you heard the promo there for Elvis Anders, who just talked about, I'm all about winning. And when you've got a bunch of guys like that, they're tough to beat. And if you're going to play for Bob Melvin and you're not going to be that kind of guy, you're not going to be around very long. It's just not going to work. You're not going to work in this clubhouse if you're not putting team first. And I can tell you, I've seen that firsthand traveling with the team. When you start to see some behind-the-scenes stuff that, you know, inside the clubhouse, whether it's Bob or whether it's certain players, they, they they police it. And I remember one instance, I want to say it was in Detroit, 
where I was like, wow, this thing's real. You're either in it to win it or guys are going to have an issue with you. And they're going to let you know about it. You know, that's kind of one of the good things about not having, you know, the superstar 10 million, I'm not 10 million, 10 year guarantee, a guy who can, you know, like what Machado did his first year. Manny Machado mentioned in an article that he didn't go full bore. But who on that team was going to step up and go, hey, what's up, Manny? Well, you don't have someone like that. This is a band of brothers going after it, and you're not, if you're not, if you're not getting it done and you're not, you're not all in, as they like to say, if you're not pulling on the, the same rope as everybody else, guys in this clubhouse are going to let you know about it. And, you know, how you felt about this ball club, let's just say two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And now how do you and now how do you feel about it? This was just, let's face it, a very odd offseason for a lot of different teams. You were just going to have to wait. We're just so used to everybody signing by the winter meetings, which we didn't have a winter meetings. We had a virtual winter meetings, and I got to be honest with you, Cody, I don't even know what they did. I mean, I guess executives got together and they talked on Zoom and they, but it's not like wheeling and dealing and you're in the hotel and everybody's there and people are looking for jobs and it's just not like that. We didn't have that this year. I mean, hopefully we have it next year. But this offseason, and it's just certain dominoes had to fall. I mean, what were we really expecting executives to do when they don't even know, they don't even know the roster size? And and what, what, what people also forget is that each ball club, you know, the, the people who deal with the economics of the, of the business, they will go to the baseball people and they will say, this is what you can spend. Here's the, here's the, you know, the parameters. And sometimes the owner will step in if you've got, you know, a Garrett Cole out there or, you know, name the player. And that's that, you know, if you're going to sign a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. to a 14-year deal, the owner is a big part of that. Most of these deals, you don't have to go to the owner. You know, you've been given, you can spend between this and that. you got to stay in between this. And if you're going to go over it, I mean, obviously, we're going to have a conversation about it. And if you're going to assign a player to a, 200, 300, hell, 400. I mean, you don't think Artie Moreno was part of Mike Trout's contract? That's just how it works. So you had a couple of those guys go, and then you just had to wait and see. Like, what are they going to give you? What you know? What a, what's the organization going to say you can do or not? And what are the rules? Think about if you're a National League general manager. 
You sat there all off season. Do I have a DH or not? November, December, January, February. And just recently they said, oh, no DH. But are you going to be shocked? Game one, right before it, hey, we've got expanded playoffs and we've got a DH in both leagues. And you're going to be a National League GM going, you did it to me two years in a row. Two years in a row, Cody. Two years in a row, you told me at the last minute, I got a, I got a DH. When I could have been fishing for one all offseason. And we've, and we've seen it more recently, too. Like, we saw the deal that Marcelo Zuna signed. Did the Braves probably want to sign him to be their left fielder? Probably not. Because uh, he was more he's more suited to be a DH now, probably going forward. Look how long it took Nelson Cruz to return to the Twins. And he was a guy that, you know, they were there was a lot of speculation that he would go somewhere in the National League because he'd get money if there was a DH. Now, there are some guys still out there that people could bring in to be a DH if you're a National League team. Ryan Braun's still out there, and, you know, he's 37 years old. But, you know, you got Yo still out there. Yoana Cespedes is still out there. There's still some options, but the guys that were out there prior to, you know, spring training starting and starting, they're not there anymore. And it, it's unfortunate for National League teams because not every, not every team has – a bench of bench guys that could fill in and be a DH for you. The Pirates don't have anybody on their bench that could be a solid DH for them. They don't even have guys they can put up to be in their lineup right now. So it, it's it's unfortunate for these these uh, executives to have to go through this. But I would not be shocked by three hours prior to first op- for you know, opening pitch, A's Astros on April first. Hey, there's expanded playoffs and uni- like you said, any universal DH. I mean, I don't even know how to compare it to any other sport. Like what? What? What would it be? Are, are are we are we using field goal kickers? Are we not using field goal kickers? I mean, I, I don't even know. I what other sport? I don't even know what other sport you could compare to say whether we're using DH or not DH, and be able to say we're using DH at the last minute. I don't know. Maybe Lou Trevino can help us out. Lou, how are you? Good. How you doing? Uh, it, it's been a while. We're, we're doing well. Just how good is it for you to be back at spring training? Oh, it's nice. Uh, more importantly, it's nice to be out of the northeast and the cold and the freezing rain and the snow and to be in this beautiful, great state of Arizona, honestly. Oh, you! I mean, the whole – I mean, you guys got hit so hard. That had to be brutal. Yeah, I mean – the last week, all I was doing was shoveling snow, so it was kind of nice. And I feel bad for my family and friends I have to do it back home, but it's nice not to be the one that has to do it, you know? <laughs> I got to think, you know, being a kid that grew up in California, and I have no idea what that's like, but I got to think that's got to be a, a good lower and upper body workout to shovel snow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would say so. It's more, it's more a back workout. You feel it right, right in the old lower back. That's, I don't know, that's where I get it, but. You know, hey, it's part of the it's part of the deal living in the Northeast, so it is what it is. But so, I don't have to I don't deal with it right now. So when you have those kind of conditions, how do you keep your arm in shape? Like, where do you go throw? Uh, I, I go to a, a, a TSC baseball academy back in back back in my hometown. So I mean, it's when I come out here, it's usually every year. It's the first time I'm in cleats, the first time I throw a ball outside because I'm usually. As far as I can throw about 100 feet, and then I got to simulate long toss and throw up into a net and then work back down the net, and that's my long toss. So it's 
you know, I've been used to it by now, but for people who, who live down south or in California where it was beautiful weather, you know, they don't have to do any of that stuff. How strange, I mean, last year we'll get into last year, but just how strange do you think this spring training is going to be for you guys? Well, if anything, it's going to be better than what spring, uh, spring training 2.0 was. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not normal, but it, there's some semblance of normalcy, which is nice. You know, there's more of a routine, I feel like. Um, but I, I know me personally, I'm just excited to be back uh, going for a full season. Um, it's just, it's, you know, th- there was talks about potentially the, the season getting pushed back. It was just, it's nice to, nice to just kind of have a season, you know? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how other guys feel, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to be back and, and having a full season underneath our belt and, and hopefully having fans in the stands again. Um, I'm just excited for, for what, what this year has in store for us. Yeah. And, and you, you are going to have some fans, at least down there in Arizona. And I got to think for someone like yourself who wants to come in there and, and hump it up and throw it by people that uh, you'll get a new adrenaline rush having fans in the stands compared to last year, Lou, what was it like when you just had a bunch of cardboard cutouts? <laughs> well, yeah, it was definitely different. Um, you know, it was, it was all, it was, they were pumping in crowd noise instead of the crowd actually, uh, you know, kind of pumping up here. But I mean, it, it's just, it, 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 it's going to be nice. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't have, I don't have the best words to, to describe how it's going to feel, but just, it's going to be nice playing in, in front of people because even though it was televised and you're still, uh, depending on what game you're, you're, you're playing, you could be playing in front of millions of people, but it doesn't feel like it. And there's just a difference, you know, uh, it, it's hard to describe. Yeah, I think all of last year was hard to describe, you know, 20, you know, 60 games. Uh, you know, it was great beating the White Sox. It sucked losing to the uh, Astros down at Dodger Stadium. But just kind of take us through what last season was like, especially once they put you guys in a bubble, then your world completely changes. Well, it was it was different in the fact that I, my, me, uh, me personally, I, I, I like to have a lot of time to warm up. I like to get to feel that one, you know, have have all the time in the world to, to do whatever workouts I want to do. But even if it's not even a workout, just being at, at the stadium. And uh, it was hard for me to get used to all right, well, you got an hour to work out, work out. You got to make sure, you know, you can't do this. You can't do this. Got to make sure you got your mask on the whole entire time. Oh, well, you know, you would be nice for you to lift today, but too many guys in the weight room. So maybe you lift tomorrow. It's just that, that whole aspect aspect of it was tough to deal with. And I know maybe to, to, to some people that, that sounds like not a big deal, but for, for a baseball player, especially for me, we're, we're very routine oriented and it, it is tough to, to kind of get out of your, your routine and, and still have to perform, even though, you know, it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, you still, still got to do it. That's no excuse for not, not performing whether you did or didn't, but it was just, it was definitely different to, to get used to. Um, but, and that's something that I'm looking forward to this year. And I'm hoping that, you know, we have a, a, a little bit less stringent um, time restraints, you know? Yeah, no. And I, and I, I don't think people realize how tough it was with the testing, especially in the playoffs. And you guys were playing not only the early games, but, you know, talk to us about how early you guys had to get there just to get te- to, uh, to get tested. Yeah, there were 
for a playoff series, that was some of the, that was, that was a lot earlier than I was expecting, but you know, at the end of the day, though, it, it was, it was fun to play, play in the playoffs against, against some good competition. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I would have, if I was a betting man, I would have lost everything because I would have thought we were going to win uh, and go a lot further. But, um, but it's, I'm just hoping that our team now, you know, we kind of, you know, it looks like we have this right personnel right now and hopefully we can make it a little further. Yeah, the moves that have recently been made, we know Yasmero Petit, what he has meant to this ball club and Bob Melvin since he has been here. You add a veteran like Sergio Romo and then Trevor Rosenthal, the fireballer, uh, you know, your bullpen just got a lot deeper and a lot better. Your thoughts on the recent moves? I think I think they're great moves. I mean, I know, I know myself personally. I wanted to keep back in, in the worst way. I think he's been one of the, my favorite um, teammates I've ever had. I've ever had the pleasure of playing with. I mean, he's a true, he's a true professional. I know since I was a rookie, he was. I, I was on his team. You know, I've never had a big league season without Petit, and, and it's nice to have that. Uh, uh, just to have a guy who who knows what what to do. I mean, you just look at his numbers over the course of his career. He's just he's, he's Mr. Consistent. He's a machine. And you got Romo, who's had an outstanding career. And then you got Rosenthal, who, I mean, dude throws absolute cheese balls. But I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like our bullpen got, got, got better faster. And, and, and again, I think it was good to start with too. You know, one thing that, you know, ever since you've come up and you've been on this show, and we've always appreciated your time. You, you're the type of guy that always talks about winning. And when Elvis Andrus was traded and we had him on the program, I can't tell you how many times he said, I'm just here to win. All I care about is winning. I mean, here's a guy that he's made his money. He had a great career in Texas, but he knows they're, they're moving in a different direction. He's all about winning. And I'm thinking, man, that just fits in. Cause I know how Chapman feels. I know how Olson feels. I know how Canna feels, how you feel. Just talk about how inside your clubhouse, as a whole, as a group, all you guys truly care about is getting those W's night in and night out. Yeah, I mean, that's something that you shoot for as, as a kid. I mean, growing up through, through Little League, it's all about winning. You know, you, you go into high school, college, it, it's, it's all about winning. And then, you, you know, you, you get you get blessed and, and you happen to be in the big leagues and and you want to win. I mean, who wants to be on a, on a garbage team that, that doesn't win? You know, that's not, that's not fun. You know, whoever says whoever says playing playing a sport is just fun. Like to me personally, playing playing and winning is fun. I just don't I don't play to have fun. I I play to win. Whether it's golf, whether it's baseball, whether it's video games, I, I'm not a I'm not fun to be around when I lose. And I I really enjoy that about our, our team. I mean, you look at Chappie. There's days he'll go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, and we win a big game, and he's celebrating. In, in in the locker room, just like he went four for four with four home runs. It's just that's the cult. I feel like that's the culture we have at, as a team. Where I mean, yeah, obviously you want you want those per personal accolades, but at, at the end of the day, it's it, it comes down to well, did did you win or not? And and you know, and winning's fun. You know, I, I think about when you came up and where you are today. What's different about you as a pitcher? Uh different about me I mean I feel like I know how to pitch more you know when I first came up I just I just I just outstuffed people you know 
uh, I was, I was 97 to a hundred and I threw 92, 94 mile hour cutters. And it was, it was pr- pretty easy. And, you know, the last two years haven't been, I haven't had that stuff, but I, I've been able to, to, to pitch well. And, and I know that, you know, I, I plan on having that stuff this year and, and I'm hoping that, um, this year, not only will I be able to pitch like I had the have what last year, but with that stuff, and I'm, like I said, I'm hoping that ends up being a really good year for not only me but for the whole entire team. When they talk about deadening the ball a little bit, and you're reading about that this off season, what were your thoughts? Well, it gets me excited. I'm not gonna lie to you because I'm expecting us to throw a Bridgestone golf ball out there, and you know that was that felt like that was coming next. I mean. <laughs> Sometimes, man, these balls just kept going and going and going. But I mean, it, I think it's nice. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you give up some of these home runs. It's like, man, I thought I thought I got in on that guy. It just goes. But it, you know, it, it definitely brings a smile to my face. I'm sure it brings a smile to most pitchers' face, and maybe not the hitters, but I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I, I think it'd, it'd be nice to kind of get back to uh, to not ridiculous amounts of home runs all, all, all the time. But at the same time, I mean, that, that is fun to watch. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. See how long that stays. Well, we always appreciate your time. You know we're always rooting for you. Stay strong. Be safe down there at spring training. And we can't wait to see you back here in Oakland. All right. Thank you very much. It was, it was a pleasure to be on. Lou Trevino, college rival of our own Commander Cody. When the Vulcans and the uh, Slippery Rock and once the Vulcans and Rocky get together, it's a it's a it's not a friendly rivalry in the uh, old Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. It it doesn't sound like it at all. No, when these when those two teams meet, it's like it's like Dodgers Padres, it's like Packers Bears. It's one of those. It's one of the oldest rivalries known to man, and uh, it's it's a fierce one. Now, Lou and I both have talked before. Neither one of us has ever been to a football game, pretty much at the university. But we we know how big the rivalry is. Well, I you know the thing for Lou is he comes out and dominates, and it was the same year Blake Trying and dominates, and then the baseball changed, and Lou was never and we you know we would we would ask him and he'd kind of dance around it, you know because he wanted to be a professional he didn't want to blame any issues he was having on the ball. But let's be honest. The baseball changed in 2019 and and it affected certain players. And there were multiple and, and, and including Dr. Wills, but there were multiple people who dissected baseballs and said the baseball's changed. It's gotten smaller, less seams. It's like a cue ball. And if we see a dramatic effect this year, like look at the pitchers. So the pitchers are like, hell yeah, you better deaden that baseball. Now you heard him right there saying, hey, I thought I thought I got in that. I, I got thought I got it in on that guy and he hit it 440 feet. Maybe that goes away. Maybe a true a true home run is still going to be a true home run. But maybe just maybe it gets a, just a little bit. Can we just say this? Let's just make it a little bit harder to hit home runs. We love home runs, but when you when you when they get going at a pace where you're you're setting a record every single year for most home runs, and guys are throwing the ball harder and harder, and I know harder you throw, you help generate the power. 
But, I mean, seriously. Watching that series down to Los Angeles between the Angels, I mean, between the uh, Astros and the A's, it was ridiculous. And even the Angels, I mean, the, the Astros people were saying the same thing. When we had Blummer on or Sparks, they all thought it was ridiculous. So deaden the ball a little bit, make it a, more, a little more playable, and we'll see what the numbers are and how it helps pitchers. Should help them dramatically, Cody. I agree, and it was uh, 24 home runs hit at Dodger Stadium last year, and those balls went 9,862 feet. That's how far I those mean, baseballs flew. That's, that's just, come on. The previous record was Yankees-Mariners in the 1995 ALDS, the incredible 1995 ALDS, where the the Mariners moved on and lost in the ALCS. But, uh, yeah, the home runs we saw last year hit at Dodger Stadium, they were a joke, let's be honest. Some of the balls that were hit, it didn't look like it. Then they were out of the ballpark. The balls that looked like they were crushed went to the warning track. It was completely different the way the ball was in that series opposed to the first series against the White Sox. Then again, it looked like the White Sox were not really struggling with the baseball in that first series because, you know, Brady was hitting home runs and Grandal. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can – I love home runs too. I mean, I think everyone knows that. But I, I would like to see, you know, guys get more ground ball outs, make the game more exciting um, going into the season. It gets out of hand. I mean, then it, you know, instead of football, it becomes arena football. And it's just, it was just, you know, one of those deals to where, and it looked like it changed as they moved on. It didn't seem like the World Series was playing with the same baseballs. It's just, you can't be playing hocus pocus with the baseball. We can't be playing with different baseballs, different series, different, you got to play with a, a uniform ball. Can we just do that? Is it really that hard to make these things? Obviously, they're figuring out how to deaden it. It'll be good for baseball. It'll be good for pitchers. And let's face it, how do you win championships? How do you win series? You win it with pitching. I mean, those the two staffs for the A's and the Astros, they were both demoralized in that series. Like every guy coming in, remember Lance McCullers a couple of times just like shrugged and looked over at his dugout, went, what's going on? It was a wild series. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Um, I mean, just just not even the home runs. Just that whole series was just wild. The Astros weren't. They had a record under five hundred, and here they are advancing in, into the ALDS, and then they go to the ALCS. But uh, I think we still had like two thousand three hundred and four home runs hit last year in a sixty-game season. That's a lot of home runs hit in a season. Uh, still, for when it's only sixty games, no, it's not the six thousand seven hundred something we saw in twenty nineteen. Uh, where we saw the Twins only hit 307 home runs as a team, and I think the what the Dodgers or Yankees were right behind, Yankees were right behind them at 306. So when the record pri- previously was in the 260s and it went up to 307, uh, I think the baseball changed that maybe a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean seriously. And remember, Target Field is not a home run hitting. This isn't a band box. This isn't Cincinnati. It's not Philly. That was supposed to be a tough place to hit a home run. They designed it that way after all those years at the Kingdom. And I think they had they had multiple guys hit thirty. I think Kepler hit thirty. Um, uh, Mitch Garver, the catcher, hit over thirty. Nelson Cruz hit over thirty. They had a bunch of guys hit over thirty. And Rocco Baldelli's first year as the manager of the Twins, it was incredible what they did. Now they didn't win in the postseason, and 
They didn't win last year in the postseason either. But, I mean, just the number of home runs they hit. In the, I mean, the numbers – the A's were fifth that year in home runs, if, if I remember correctly. They hit like 200 and – 270 or something like that. It was it was a ridiculous amount of home runs they hit. We shouldn't be talking about the equipment that much. Probably not. I don't, I don't hear us talking about the – well, we talked about the football a lot when Tom Brady took air out of it. But It was a Tom Brady deal. <laughs> Other than Tom Brady, when do we ever, like, before games going, hey, what kind of football are they using? Yeah, I think the only sport that really ever talked about equipment might have been hockey about the net size because I think they, they – they um, talked about sticks. Yeah, and they and they I think they shrunk the the size of the net before, but, but not every game, not all the time. Yeah, you don't hear them. You know, you don't hear Steph Curry going out there. Man, this basketball, it just feels different when I release it. Can you imagine Warriors pre and post game live on NBC Sports Bay Area? I'm not sure what basketball we're using tonight. Yeah, come on. <laughs> That's not happening. You know what is happening? The face of the franchise. Ray Fossey will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Hit it, Cody. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Happy Friday, Ray. Tony, how you doing, my friend? How's Cody doing? Everybody good back there? Cody, how are you? Ray, it's great to hear your voice. Baseball is back, and I uh, couldn't be more excited to hear what you think about everything that's happened in the past week and our beautiful game of baseball. Well, I do know one thing. I'm I'm hearing a little bit of excitement. Matter of fact, a lot of excitement. There's a couple of boys named uh, Townie and Cody because baseball is back. And analyzing a baseball and doing all those kind of things, man, this is this is what baseball is all about. So happy to uh, join you guys and happy to talk about, man, there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on. And I think from the A standpoint, all of a sudden, the A's are right back where they wanted to be. And commend uh, we commend, have to commend what David Force, Billy Bain, the ball club has done in, in refortifying the athletics team going into 2021 season. I, I think everybody's got to be excited. I know I am, and uh, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you guys are thinking about. Also, some of the acquisitions uh, from the athletic standpoint. Well, Ray, I've been saying trust the process, and it's been such yeah. a slow off season. But I, I, I think for fans, they need to understand that for all these front offices, you know, they didn't know the cards that they were going to be dealt with. I think the greatest example are these National League GMs. They're looking at New York, and when I mean New York, the commissioner's office, and they're saying, are we going to have a DH or not? Do I need to get it? I mean, no other league does this. No other league. So it's like I can't even imagine being a National League GM going, are you going to get me again, like right at the very beginning of the season and tell me, okay, you can have a DH now. And I could have been fishing for a DH all off season. So I think it's really been tough, Ray, for all of these front offices. They don't, for a long time, they didn't know the roster size, uh, expansion of playoffs, DH. It's just, it, it, this has been a really tough off season for the front offices. 
You know, you're exactly right. And I think what has happened, uh, there have been a lot of key free agents who have come off the board, and we can talk about those guys as well. But but I agree with you. When, when the A's traded Chris Davis, and you know, we, I mean, it was a deal that I think the A's probably improved themselves with Elvis Andrews at shortstop, Jed Lowry coming back. And, you know, again, if he's healthy, he's got a very good chance of being the second baseman. So you've got your top of the batting order. And I know we talked about, I think, last week about Elvis and, and Lowry being maybe one and two and then going to the middle part of the lineup. Then I read somebody was saying about um, Elvis Andrews hitting eighth. You know, he's, he's an on-base guy. Put him up front. But, but I think when the A's acquired Mitch Moreland, we called him Babe Moreland. And you look at the numbers of what Moreland did or has done against the athletics, especially at the Coliseum. I am so happy to see him now in the green and gold. And if he does anything close for the A's, what he did against the A's, the A's are going to have a dynamic left-handed power hitter as a DH. He can play first base. But I think also it still enables the A's to use the right-handers so they could platoon the DH instead of having one guy penciled in as a DH. And getting a closer in Rosenthal, a true closer, they paid him the money, perhaps the money they saved and were able to pick up from the Rangers whenever they acquired Elvis Andrews and sent Chris Davis there. So everything has kind of fallen in place. But I like the structure of the ball club. I like the fact that what the A's have done and being able to do this but I agree with you. There are some clubs that finally said we have to do it. And if you know, I, I, I still think the American League has been accustomed to the DH. But I think more and more we're seeing clubs that have said, let's not concentrate on one player being the designated hitter. Have him being only that position that he can play. We can we can rotate guys. And I think if it does come to fruition again prior to the the season beginning, that's what national clubs can do as well. Because we always would see it when nationally clubs would come to the Coliseum during interleague play, and you'd see their number one guys who would get off their feet for a half a game and be DH, and in particular catchers. I think of Mike Piazza when he played for the Mets, and they came in. Buster Posey would DH. And you'd see the manager that nationally rotate, especially in a three-game series, guys to get them off their feet to be able to use that and utilize the DH that way. And I think that's something that can be done, whether it's the American League or National League. And I think while the, the DH will still be part of the game, because I don't think anybody, what did you do ever say about hitting as a pitcher? Do I really have to do this? You know, and so, I mean, here's a pitcher who's saying it. And, and I think the majority of pitchers would prefer to have the designated hitter to be able to sit on the bench. They could stay in the game longer. If they're pitching well, they don't have to come out of the game so I think the DH is a position that can be utilized in so many ways. But from the standpoint of the league office, I think so much turmoil is still there, not knowing what is going to be happening. It came out with a test uh, from the COVID coming in uh, for the testing, and I'm happy to see it was minimal as far as the number of players and or personnel uh, were uh, diagnosed with it. And, you know, go forward and, and be done with it. If this club and all the clubs can stay healthy, and we can have a regular baseball season and eventually get fans back in the stands on a regular basis. I think it could be good all the way around. But I think it's starting on the right foot, Tony. And if changes are made prior to April 1st on opening day, so be it. Clubs have to adapt, be ready to go. And uh, they did it last year in a 60-game schedule, and I think they'll do it again this year. I got to tell you, Ray, I've been tested twice, and both times you're like, oh, please be negative. 
squeeze me. <laughs> it's like it's a horrible weight, man. I gotta tell you, it's uh and then they they give you this uh website you can go to and you keep going to the website and keep waiting and keep waiting. I've been negative both times, thank God. But I mean getting tested is miserable. Yeah, I, I know it's it, it is miserable and there's been so many things I don't even I don't even want to talk about it because there have been so many things to talk about. One side says something, another side says something else. So again, it's something that the players more than anybody have to go through. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just something that they do. We have to go through it when we go to the Coliseum, have the uh, uh, hands-free, the, whatever the temperature check is, you know, beep, beep, let's go, you know. But, you know, it, it's something that has to be done. And, and again, uh, let's hope we can get back to some normalcy sooner than later, and uh, we don't have to talk about it anymore. Has Arizona gotten better? Oh, yes. Every time I, I listen in the morning, the news that comes on and said, it's going down, 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 down. Every every day they're talking about how um, the, the tests, uh, the positive tests have decreased. And, you know, there's – it's. I tell you what, Tony, if you drive around Arizona, you would think that nothing has happened. You, you look at restaurants. You see them full. Um, if you know, see them, whether you're inside or outside, you're seeing restaurants full. They do have the patio dining. How's the chicken pie shop on the creek doing, by the way? Uh, thank you for asking, Ray. Uh, it's better. We have the, we have beautiful outdoor dining. I'll send you some pictures. It's, uh, okay. my partner, my, my, my partner, Henry, who you got to meet, uh, did a yeah. great job with it. And, and obviously a lot of people in Walnut Creek and the East Bay have been looking to get outside. So, uh, Walnut Creek, uh, chicken pie shop, great outdoor dining, great food. Plus we deliver. So, and I, I oh, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, but no matter what, no matter what, you know, even whether it's down here in my neck of the woods in San Jose or, or, you know, San Francisco or anywhere in the Bay area, support local businesses because That's like right. in the state of California, nobody employs more people than restaurants and bars. So support right. these yeah. local businesses. Uh, Ray, you know, uh, you asked about earlier about the new additions that we've gotten recently. And I said this about the bullpen. I want your opinion. A couple weeks ago, we we're wondering who's going to close games out. Now with these <laughs> signings, I'm wondering who's going to make the bullpen because now it's not going to be easy to make this pen. You know, I agree. And your uh, previous guest on uh, named Lou Trevino uh, talking about, you know, the success he had a couple of years ago, he and Blake Trinan. And, you know, th there's one thing that I kind of disagree when you're talking about the baseball, because I think that if you put the baseball in the location of where you're trying to put it, then the ball's not going to travel as much. And, and Lou Trevino can throw hard. He has a great sinker, a great cut fastball. And I've said to you, even before the acquisition of, of Rosenthal, and of course, Deekman was a possibility, now getting Sergio, Sergio Romo with his uh, veteran status. I mean, I think it's a great bullpen, but I still think Lou Trevino can come back. And if he does, the bullpen is just going to be one of those that Bob Melvin, and um, I mean, he's just going to be saying, okay, who do I go to? Uh, flip a coin, let's go. Uh, Emo, what do you think? You know, who, who do I go to? Because they're all good. And I think, they're all going to thrive on being with the athletics, uh, putting on that green and gold and being part of a very good ball club. And whether it's for year two, three, whatever it might be, this is the most important year starting April the 1st, getting everybody ready for the regular season. But I, I think it's going to be a great bullpen. I, I think it's going to be a great starting staff. And I agree with you. 
it's not so much now who is going to close. It is who's going to make the ball club out of the bullpen. And there's so much versatility. I think that's what makes everything so good from the standpoint of the athletics. And, and whether it was the fact that it happened late, uh, who cares? The fact that those guys were out there and they wanted to sign a contract, I think it's outstanding. And I'll be honest with you, in hindsight, Marcus Simeon, correct me if I'm wrong, did he not receive a qualifying offer? He did not. I thought he did. No, he didn't. He didn't. Okay. Well, all I know is that if he had to change positions and it was going to be, and I, and I think what you're seeing and say Trevor Rosenthal, uh, he wanted what a four-year contract. He signed a one-year deal. I think based on what happened last year, there were a lot of players. There are a lot of players saying, just give me a one-year contract. Unless I'm already on a long-term deal, give me a one-year contract. Let me have a good year going to free agency again and see what happens at that point. And I think in Rosenthal's standpoint, he maybe still has to prove he's healthy. He's, he's on the right path of doing that. And I think the A's are going to benefit from him. But I still think this is a very good ball club. Losing two key players, two guys who are very important in the clubhouse, and uh, according to what players have said and, and uh, in, in the dugout, and Davis and Simeon, but the guys that the A's got in return, I think are going to be outstanding. And yes, it's going to be different. It's going to be hard for the players, um, you know, to, to look at a player. They still have the two mats, Chappie and, and Ole, to be able to talk about and, and put up their signs from year to year and see what happens there. But this is a good club. And I think that's the most important thing. If I'm an A's fan to see what Billy Bean and David Forrest have done to make this club a club that when you go to the park and you said it best again about winning, that's the name of the game. People want to see a winner. They want to see a team on a daily basis win games. So that means in October, when that rolls around, you're playing baseball. Ray, you know, the business of baseball as good as anybody. And in a year like this, it may be smart business to say, you know what, just give me the one year deal. Let's get through this year. At some point, everybody's going to be vaccinated. We'll get back to business as usual. Fans in the stands. uh, Payrolls will go up. It may be just a smart deal just to bite the bullet for this year and go back into free agency next year when we know there's going to be way more normalcy. I agree 100%, Tony. And, and, you know, I don't know that the way players take care of themselves these days, and granted, yes, there are some clubs, that think that maybe I can go younger and pay less money and get similar results. I don't think that's the case. You look at Sergio Romo, he's 38 years old, you know, three-time world champion across the Bay. He's got three rings. He knows how to pitch. You take a pitcher like that, give me him and I'll take his better leadership. I don't care how old he is. I don't care how much he may have lost on his fastball. He's a slider pitcher. He's a different type of pitcher. And I think the same goes true with position players. If you're good, I don't know that you can look at the actual age that you might be and be concerned about getting a long-term contract. I just believe that if you're good enough, you're going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to play as long as you want to. And there's an old saying that goes, make them tear the uniform off your back before you retire because the money is there. Why turn it down? But I agree. If you can play one year, show that, say, what I did a, a year ago in 2019 was not a fluke, 60-game schedule, abbreviated schedule. I think Piscotti said, you know, I had a good August, September, uh, a little bit down. 
but he didn't have any more time to come back. And that's what 60 or, or six months season does for a player, a pitcher, a position player. If you have a down couple of weeks, you have time to come back. You want that to happen in the early or middle part of the season, get stronger towards the end. So you're ready for playoffs, but in an abbreviated schedule, you can't do that. But in a, in a regular 162 game, six month schedule, then you have the time to come back and be ready for postseason. But, uh, uh, for those guys worried about a one-year contract, I think it's wrong. Uh, I think it's something that if you can get it, take it, prove that what you've done before can continue, and you're going to get your long-term contract that you're looking for. You know, it's it's always been funny to me how they've called Romo a slider pitcher. That's no slider. That's a slurve. It's in between <laughs> a slider and a curveball. It's a frisbee, Ray. That's not a no, slider. That's, right. that's what we call a slurve. But, but you know what? You can look for it. You're right. It is a slurve. It's a Frisbee. But, you know, you can look for it. And I'm standing, sitting up in the booth and thinking the right-handers know it's coming. And you see it coming, and there it is. And all of a sudden, you swing, a catcher barely catch it in the left-handed batter's box if you're a right-handed hitter. You know, it, it's amazing the success he has had with that pitch. And then what does he do? Uh, he occasionally will freeze a hitter. Didn't he freeze um, – Miguel Cabrera in the World Series with a fastball right down the middle, you know, because you get to the point where you're looking for it, and, and then all of a sudden here comes that sneaky fastball. It's about 83 miles an hour, and you wonder, that's batting practice fastball. But if you're looking for the Frisbee or, or the Slurve, there's no way you're going to hit it. But, you know, it's going to be fun to watch him pitch for the athletics, watch him come in and watch the disgust of the opposing hitter. It, it, it's like a hitter facing a knuckleball pitcher. Or, or, or some type of a pitch that you know you can't hit and chuckle at them because you'd rather have them attempt to do it instead of yourself. I think that's what's going to be fun about Sergio Romo. And, you know, I just hope, you know, the way he licks his hand before every pitch, I wonder if he has to have sanitizer in his back pocket, you know, because you, you know that where he takes his, he puts his, his whole hand, entire hand from the base around his thumb all the way to the fingers and then wipes it up. But, you know, it's kind of a habit for him. But whatever he does, he's had success. And I'm happy the A's happy. You know, when I think about Sean Murphy and hearing about how he potentially collapses long by sleeping in bed, a big cough, causing a little hole. I mean, that's scary stuff. What were your first well, thoughts when you heard about Sean? Uh, I'm thinking, oh, no, not another injury because he's going to have the knee problems. And, you know, he's, he's gotten over the knee issues and being able to be strong and and. I thought he had a tremendous uh, two-month schedule plus postseason last year. Very strong hitter. Very good receiver behind the plate. Blocks balls extremely well. But you know what, Townie, and you, you as a pitcher, how many times did you find yourself making sure you did not sleep on your pitching arm? Now, that's a little bit different than maybe a collapsed lung because if you're sleeping and, uh, and you cough, that's scary that something like that could happen and to have to have surgery on top of it. But, but I think more than anything, um, I remember Charlie Finley said to me when, when I had my uh, neck problem that fortunately was taken care of by Dr. Charles Wilson. But, but he said, you know, you, you can't play this game and have a lot of injuries because then people start to think that you're injury prone. You're prone to an injury just waking up. And let's hope that is not the case with Sean Murphy. Let's hope that he gets over them. I think of Walt Weiss. It seemed like he had all of his injuries when he's with the athletics and after he left the A's went on to have a great career because he got rid of his injuries with his knees and whatever it might be. 
but had a tremendous career as a great shortstop, most of those with the Braves. But I still think um, from Sean Murphy, he's an outstanding catcher. I'm happy to see an MLB's top ranks of, of players where they go around the, the horn, the different positions, and Murph is in the top ten. Uh, sometimes sometimes the top five is the best catchers in Major League Baseball. I think, that, I think that's a credit to what he has been able to do and what the A's have been able to do. He just he has so much potential. I mean, defensively, yeah. I mean, the running game isn't what it, what it used to be like, but he has the ability to take out the running game and the power, Ray. Just talk about the power you've seen so far from this young catcher. Well, the thing that I like about it, we've talked about this before, is, you know, before the gays got uh, Mitch Moreland and, you know, how right-handed it was. Well, you think about some of the shots that Sean Murphy hit off of right-handed pitchers. I mean, they were rockets, and they just and they weren't just over the fence. They were as far as you might expect a ball to be hit, and you're amazed at how far the ball does go with a very compact swing. His power is off the chart. Now, we're not talking about trying to pull a ball because you remember his first major league hit was a home run to right center at the Coliseum. That says a lot about his ability to wait for pitches and be able to attack them whenever he does see them. But I think his power is something that you're now looking at from a catcher as a, a position player that you're looking for offense. And I think the A's are fortunate in that regard to have a catcher that they can rely on to be not only the guy behind the plate, because you have a former catcher as your manager and he wants you to do the job there. But also, you don't have to worry about him hitting ninth and hiding him, hoping that his bat doesn't come up with runners on base. You can't hide him because you can put him right in the middle of the lineup and know that he's going to produce just because he knows how to hit. He's very strong. And I think this is maybe just a little bump in the road for him. He'll come back strong as ever and, and be ready to go when the season does open. And uh, again, A's are fortunate to have somebody that they can rely on like that, especially behind the plate. Do you think Fernando Tatis Jr. got cheated? Uh, I'd say that's a pretty good contract considering his uh, his uh, his time in the big leagues. And but you know, Tony, what maybe you and Cody can can clarify something. I mean, you, I think I read that the San Diego area, and you know that area very well, mentioned like the twenty seventh media market. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it's the eighth largest city, but it's like like 24th, I think, in media market. Okay. But how much do you think that, say, in the case of Tatis, and even paying what they did for Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer and, and trading for Blake Snell, that, that let's say in Tatis, you know, you could say, well, you know, why, why, did, why did you sign him now? Why didn't you wait until he became a free agent or close to it? Well, I, I would think that if you have a chance to offer that kind of a contract and you can justify it, now, that's, that's going to be the biggest question, if, if you can justify making those kind of payments uh, for 14 years guaranteed. But, uh, you know, it just seems like, like, like Lindor, for example. Cleveland held on as long as they could and traded it to the Mets, and I'm sure the Mets will do what the Dodgers did with Mookie Betts when he was traded from the Dodgers, uh, from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. So um, I, I just think that what Tatis did, you said it before and you have said it, that he's a very personal type player. He, you know, I'm sure he's going to be able to do on the field to justify that kind of a contract. But I'd say that he should be very happy uh, to have gotten that contract, considering there are a lot of people in his family set for life. I don't know that anybody's going to have to do anything in that Tatis family. Well, yeah, his dad already has a ton of dough anyway. But I mean, I think that, 
I, I mean, if someone offers you over three hundred million. I mean, anything. Ray, you're a great example. Anything can happen to you playing sports, That's whether right. it's a knee, a back, a neck, a wrist, or what. I mean, uh, someone's going to offer you that kind of financial security. You'd be a moron not to sign that deal. And let's not forget, in baseball, those contracts are guaranteed. Guaranteed. And somebody in football, basketball, hockey, whatever, from my understanding is they get a lot of upfront money, bonuses, because that's the only part that's guaranteed. But in baseball, that money that Tatis got is all guaranteed. Now, the the amazing thing I saw was that playing in the state of California, do you see what he's going to net after taxes in the 14 years? I mean, still, $168 million isn't that bad, but you're looking at over 50% that he's going to have to pay in some sort of tax uh, in the state of California. But, you know, it, it's a player, and, and the average salary per year is what they're looking at. And he's right up there with Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and uh, some pretty good players that are getting it. The only thing that might be happening, let's say with the Mets, with Lindor, does Lindor say to the Mets or whomever after this year, hey, there's a 340 contract, there's a Mike Trout contract, Mookie Betts, Manny Machado, I want more. And if that's the case, man, somebody's going to have to pay a lot of money because Lindor is a very good player. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I think from the shortstop standpoint, if Lindor can sign with the Mets, Tatis is signed with the Padres, Marcus Simeon has to be very happy knowing that here's some shortstops that not Tatis, but Lindor could be off the table. Corey Seager, probably the Dodgers want to try to keep him. Uh, so the more shortstops can get off the charts from the standpoint of a free agency, I think it's going to be good for Marcus Simeon. Yeah, they keep talking about this monster free agent class next year. You know, reality is a lot of these guys could sign extensions and they don't even hit the market. Exactly. And I think we're going to see that because – Clubs are smart enough to realize, and look what the Dodgers, Dodgers still have that tremendous television contract for them to be able to do what they've done. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a two-team race in the National League West and what the Padres have done, what the Dodgers have done. I mean, bringing back Justin Turner and, and Seager, uh, my goodness, and, and signing Trevor Bauer. Uh, how about their starting rotation? I mean, they said $87 million. With Kershaw and, and, and Bauer, that's, that's what, 77 or something like that, or, or 72, because I think Kershaw is over 30, and you've got Bauer with 40. And I don't know. It's, it's just amazing money. But you know what? Before we go, I want to ask you. There's, you're, you're talking about your grandfather, Bob Elliott, right? Yeah. 1948, did you see the three-game attendance at Cleveland Municipal Stadium in that World Series? No. 237,000 for three games in the 1948 World Series with the Braves and the Indians. Can you believe that? Can Uh, you imagine? Or importantly, can you believe that? (laughs) Well, yeah, because I saw the picture. Whenever I played for the tribe, I could see the picture at Municipal Stadium. Every time you could walk upstairs going into the uh, executive offices, and they had a picture, and I don't know if it was that World Series or playing the Yankees, but I saw Cleveland Municipal Stadium completely packed. I only saw it in pictures. I never experienced it as a player. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, no, I can't, I can't imagine that. But you do the math. You're looking at, what, 75? Over 75, maybe, what, 78,000 per game in a World Series? 
it's just hard. And I mean, that was that was a World Series where the National League played the American League. And that's it. But can you imagine a stadium that size drawing that many people in today's world? The World Series share would be who knows, maybe seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. If yeah. if it, you know, it's just amazing. But I thought when I saw that, I immediately thought about you and your grandfather because um, that was amazing to see three game series played at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And remember that place could hold, they said 75 to 80 for football, but they expanded it obviously for the World Series to have that many people in there. But the picture was unbelievable. And uh, I know Dave Cavill, the president, I'm sure if he saw that picture, he said, I never saw that many people because I was always in the upper deck and we were chasing around because they were closed down. The, the upper deck was always closed at Municipal Stadium. And I, I experienced the same thing, but uh, I, I was thinking about you when I saw that. But, Tony, I will say, I, I think this is going to be a very good year and everything that has happened last week. Uh, let's just hope that players can stay healthy. You know that the staff is going to be good and getting everybody ready to go. And if they can stay healthy and, and be ready to go for the April 1st uh, game against the Houston Astros and play a complete season, I think once again, and you've said it, Postseason baseball is what it's all about. And the A's have a very good chance of doing that once again. All right, Ray, we'll talk to you next week. You guys are the best. Can't wait. It's always good to talk baseball, especially now when baseball's back and going strongly. Take care, guys. The great Ray Fossey, your pitching, your pitching coach for the Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. He may be the only man we will cut the commercial break short for. The great Scott Emerson, Emo, is with us live from spring training. Emo, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing good. And just how excited were you to show up Mesa, Arizona, and let's get this thing going. Oh, it, it's it's been an awesome, uh, what, three days so far. I mean, just getting on the field with the guys and, and watching them throw the baseball around and defense and being able to talk to, to people outside your home, you know, as we're socially distancing, uh, you know, a little bit longer days because of the, um, you know, we're trying to limit the numbers and the workouts uh, to a certain number of people at the time. But, you know, like I'm, I told all the guys, you know, just being able to be out here, smell the grass, hear the popping of the glove has been a joy. Yes, Mero Petit is back with the A's, and we know what he's meant the last couple of years. You know, two years ago, let all of baseball and appearances. I know he has just been like the the grandfather to everybody down in the bullpen. When you heard he re-signed with the team, what did that mean to you? Um, I mean, it meant a lot. You know, uh, you know, at the end of the season, uh, you know, you're you're saying your goodbyes and your hugs to the guys and. And Hughes has been such a, a valuable member of the team and, and the clubhouse and just an unbelievable great person. And you start thinking, you know, you spent, you know, three years with these guys and then all of a sudden some of these guys are leaving. And then you start thinking or, or becoming free agents and you're starting to think, you know, are we bringing them back? Or, you know, where's this, you know, am, am I going to have a text relationship, you know, with this guy now that 
you know, we're all over the country, people playing on different teams. But, you know, when I found out that Hughes um, was coming back, it was just a, uh, a, a great feeling. You know, what a great person, what a great member of the team. And just, you know, he's, he's that quiet leader. He just goes about his business and does everything he's asked uh, from the organization. And I just love that guy. You know, I think about Trevor Rosenthal. He came up pretty early. So a lot of people think he's old, but he's not. He's just 30 years old. What are you getting with this big right-hander? I mean, you're, you're getting a guy that's, you know, closed out some games and, and he's an aggressive, uh, good fastball type pitcher. Uh, and he's, you know, arguably over the last year, one of the best closers in the game. You know, we, we, we lost one of the guys that, you know, the, the same was arguably the best. And, uh, we pick up uh, Rosenthal. I remember watching in the early, uh, spring training uh, or early uh, part of the, the hot stove season, they were comparing Rosenthal uh, with Liam Hendricks on uh, the MLB network. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to pull out getting him after losing Liam is, is awesome. And then you add Sergio Romo. I mean, you forget this guy has saved 134 games in his career. Obviously, the World Series titles with the San Francisco Giants, all the playoff experience, and being an opener for the Rays. Talk about what you're getting with this veteran. Well, you're getting the pedigree. You know, you're getting somebody who's uh, been there and done that, you know, and, and he can see it from a different side of the perspective, you know, winning the world championships. So, you know, you got a guy who, who's still crafty, who still finds a way to get his out, knows how to pitch, and you're getting a, a, a colorful character that uh, is added to the team. You know, our, our guys, uh, you know, go out there and play with a lot of passion. They play hard and they have a lot of fun. And just being around him the last couple of days, I expect him to, to be uh, a guy that's just going to fit right into with this uh, group of guys that we have. You and I have talked about Mike Fires so many times. You know, we're in this world where it's all about throwing 100 miles an hour and having the greatest spin rate. And, and, and what does Mike Fires do? He wins. That's all he does. Ever since he's come over, he's 26 and 9. He's been dominant at the Coliseum. Getting your veteran guy back, what does that mean to have a guy like Mike Fires? in that rotation, in that clubhouse, and all he does is win for you. Well, you look at Mike, like you said, the world of consistency. He's always consistent. You know exactly what you're getting out of Mike each and every start. And that's, that's a big thing. You know, you want to know that the guy can go out there, one, he competes, he throws strikes, he knows how to move his baseball around. That's why he wins ball games because he can pitch. And, you, you know, I always talk about uh, – you know, we, we, we want major league pitchers, not minor league throwers. And he brings that veteranship of a guy that's a major league pitcher. And, you know, W's are important, you know. And, and you know, some people say that the W's aren't as important uh, because it's how good your team is. But for me, sometimes I look around and say, you know what, he keeps us in the games long enough to beat the other starter more than the other starter beats him. So, you know, that's kind of how I evaluate the W's is how long, can he go to keep us in games for us to win those games? And he's done a heck of a job for us. And that is one of the number one questions that we're going to look at with pitching this year is, you know, these guys for the most part only got what 11, 10, 11 starts and they didn't have a full season. Now you have a quick off season. 
What are you expecting innings-wise, especially early from your starters? Well, you know, for me, you know, one thing that everybody is missing and they're not remembering is when these guys went home after spring training, they kept throwing. So you got to realize that the arm didn't stop. I, I would have been more worried about them if, uh, you know, they were throwing, they got to spring training, they took a month and a half, two months off with no throwing and not staying in shape. Some of these guys were going to these facilities, they were throwing. Uh, they might not have been throwing every fifth day. It might have been every sixth day. Some guys stayed in an every fifth day routine. They may not have gotten, you know, the velo up to, to, to uh, you know, game-like speed because once that hitter gets in the box, it's a totally different story about how much energy you're putting into the baseball. But these guys were throwing. They just didn't stop. Now, if, if, and they have fresh arms. If you're coming off a guy uh, that's had a couple uh, years where he hasn't pitched much due to injury, totally different story. You know, I just don't see – if we're getting to the guys – on the mound fresh, I don't see why they can't get to their same innings that they were in 19. I mean, for me, they can because they kept throwing last year. They didn't stop. The object is to get you on the mound fresh. So for me, you know, as long as we're watching them and monitoring their rest, it's not that big of a deal to me. With bringing fires back and just looking at all the names, how much do you love your depth in the starting rotation? Because it seems like you go pretty deep, especially if these young kids get better, the kids who are at the alternate site. Yeah, I mean, it's always our organization does an amazing job of building depth. You know, there's always guys that can step in and, and you know, we've always talked about the next man up or we don't re, uh, rebuild, we reload type mentality. And, and to have those guys, you know, ready to go and Gil Patterson, Rick Rodriguez, Steve Connolly, to, to be able to get those guys ready. We've taken guys from double A before. Uh, you know, I remember A.J. Griffin and Dan Straley. They, they started a year in double A. Next thing you know, uh, they go through triple A and they're, they're in the big leagues by, by July. And that stuff can happen. So, you know, it's very important that uh, not only do our guys on paper and depth, uh, get ready, but our, our pitching coaches do a great job of getting those guys ready for the big leagues. And, you know, sometimes you do have to finish off pitchers at the major league level. You know, you know, they're one thing on paper. I always say that as well, but it's another thing when you get to the big leagues, it's a whole different story and you have to learn how to pitch to big league hitters and they'll let you know, and you'll have to evaluate yourself and, so our guys do a good job of getting those guys to the point where now, okay, see how good you are against big league hitters. So the depth is always the depth is always great to have. You know, everybody seems to get to spring training super early, so you still have position players walking around right now, and they're going to report coming up here officially. But two years of winning ninety-seven games, being in the playoffs last year, winning the division, obviously winning the round against the White Sox. Does this team feel a little different? Do you see a little more confidence walking around that clubhouse and walking around that field like they've matured? Oh, yeah. I mean, we got guys that, you know, know how to go out there and do their business. I think, you know, we still have a little chip on our shoulder, uh, you know, looking at some of the networks picking us maybe coming third place, not even second place. And I think that's, you know, we've been picked like that for years. Three, I think all three years we were picked to come in third and, um, you know, from various publications. 
And our guys see that and they use that as fuel and, and like, hey, we're not disrespected, but we're not expected to win as many games as we think we can win. So our guys just want to go out, play baseball, play hard and prove that we're a, a team of sustainability. A bunch of guys that have gone out there, played hard over the last three years and continue that on to this year. You know, we've been talking about what the Rays did last year. 12 different guys during the 60-game schedule got a save. Then add another one in the uh, playoffs to give them 13 guys. I now look with all the guys you've added, the guys you have. Could you potentially see a lot of different players get a save for you this season? Um, I mean, I guess everything's possible. You know, I, I really you know, I'm assuming myself that we got uh, uh, Rosenthal to be the closer, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll have more meetings and details on that, but uh, you know, I mean, we got very capable arms of doing those types of things, you know, and over the past couple of years, we've even had a couple three inning saves. So, uh, you know, we, we got guys that are capable. I call them end of the inning games or end of the end of the game uh, guys. And, we got a lot of capable guys that are able to pitch at the end of the game. And we just go out there and, and, you know, play the game and skip pulls the pulls the strings and, and, and we'll see what happens. All right. Cody has a question for you. Cause he's championing one thing for the 2021 Oakland athletics. Go ahead, Cody. Uh, hi, Emo. Hope you're well. Uh, first, the question I want to ask you, and I've been wanting to ask a while is, do you see a potential role for A.J. Puck as a guy that could be a long reliever or a guy that could be one of those guys that gets a three-inning uh, three save for the, the team this year? Well, you know, I think, you know, always our intention with A.J. is to, to uh, get him ready, get him in shape, and see where he's at as a starter. Uh, that's, that's probably our, always have been our number one option. So the first thing that we want to do in spring training is we want to just put our eyes on him, which he threw a great bullpen the other day, put our eyes on him again on his next bullpens, and then see what he does against hitters and see how we can build him and see how he bounces back and how he feels. So the communication uh, with the uh, athletic training staff, myself, and, and AJ is going to be huge over the next two to three weeks just to see where we're at, see how he's feeling. You know, and this goes for every pitcher as well. It's, you know, you start getting to the 35, 40 pitch range and you have fatigue. There's, there's plenty of pitchers in Major League Baseball. They started out as starters and they weren't very successful. They went to the bullpen. And a lot of that is because they just start to fatigue at 35, 40, 45 pitches. So I think we'll let it all play out, see where A.J. is at the end of spring before we determine any of the roles. Are there any – give me one of the young guys that you're really excited about that you really think could blossom this year for you guys. Well, you know, I always I always like watching Dalton Jeffries throw. I mean, he, he's got just, you know, a nice, easy flow to his delivery. Uh, he's got a, a lot of pitches that he can move his baseball around. You know, uh, I haven't seen him pitch much. I've seen uh, just more bullpens out of him. Uh, you know, pretty much uh, in Texas last year, which was not his game. You know, uh, he struggled that game. But first game jitters in the big leagues, you know, you come in with new eyes is what I do. You know, the first three or four games, you can't, you know, get too attached to somebody and how they're out there pitching. And he'd probably like to take that game back. 
But uh, I just like watching him pitch. I like him watching him in the bullpen, move his baseball around, and and he's got some things we're working on to to take his game to another level. So he's probably one guy out of like the puck uh, the pucks of the world that that I like to watch. All right, what was your first reaction when you heard or read about doctoring the baseball, deadening the baseball a little bit compared to last year and the year before? Well, it was my first reaction is the ball's going to move more. You know, anything lighter, the ball's going to move. And then I heard, okay, well, they're, they're making the ball lighter, but they're going to put it in a humidor, which in reality will make the ball heavier again. So, you know, I'm trying to uh, weigh the difference here. Uh, you know, anything lighter is going to, you know, cause some, some extra movement and some extra break, uh, maybe less drag to the baseball. Uh, you know, they talk about the drag going out. So if there's drag going out, I'm always saying, well, wouldn't there be drag going in? So, you know, you might see velo a little bit down and, and the movement grades a little bit more. So, you know, we've always had this debate about the balls and I've always, uh, Cody's, we got to find the, um, about the bats, you know, that's the thing that I'm still wondering about is like, man, these things, these bats are unbelievable. You know, I used to break five bats a game and, and, you know, everybody says I didn't throw hard and it, sometimes you don't even see five bats a game broken in the big leagues anymore. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, we've reached out and uh, for some reason people don't want to respond to us. Well, I, uh, I I can't tell you either. I mean, but all I hear from a lot of our coaches would be like, man, if I had these bats 30 years ago, maybe I'd add on an extra couple of feet to some distance on, on some balls or hit a few balls a little bit harder. So, uh, you know, the, the good thing about this is uh, everybody plays with the same ball. So it's not like, you know, we're changing – you know, we're in golf, you know, a guy plays a top flight, another guy plays a Titleist, somebody plays a Spalding uh, or, or, or a, a Nike ball or any of that stuff. In the big leagues, here's the baseballs that the, the umpires rub up and uh, let's go play ball. So, you know, for me, it just, you know, offense kind of sells sometimes because, you know, people want to see action in the game. We got to find a way to, to get some action, to get balls and play a little bit more. I know they've talked about the stolen base. They want to maybe get bring that back in certain rules over the next couple of years. But uh, you know, we don't want we want kids to play the game. We got to stay in you know in the guidelines and the in the in the parameters of what made this game great. But we we need to get a little bit more uh, balls and play, uh, whether that's pitchers throwing more strikes or hitters swinging at more strikes. But it's a lot more fun when these games are over in two hours and 20 minutes because there's a lot of action and there's not much dead time. All I know about my humidor is when I take the cigar out, it's moist. If I don't take care of my humidor, it'll be dry and be terrible. We're going to have five more teams other than the Rockies use humidors this year. What really do you know? What really is, I know what the effect is on a cigar. What's the effect truly on a baseball? Well, there is a different feel uh, to the baseball. It's almost like sometimes when I, I, I use a, uh, get the ball out of the humidor 
you know, it, it feels a little more sticky, which is good for the pitchers because, you know, you've got something to hold on to. Sometimes you get some of these baseballs and they feel like a, 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 a pool cue, you know, it's real slippery in your hands. And sometimes for me, it feels like the seams raise a little bit and uh, I get a little bit higher seam. Um, but it's a little bit damp. You, you can, you can feel it, uh, you know, the dampness to the, to the ball. So, you know, I thought from what I thought is every baseball team has to have the balls in a climate controlled atmosphere using some sort of humidor. Uh, if you say five or six, that's something that, that I was unaware of because I thought everybody was going to have to do it over the course of time. Wow, you're breaking news because Ken Rosenthal had five more. You're saying everybody's going to have to do it. Well, that's what I thought. Don't, don't, don't. We're on live right now, so I'm not <laughs> quoting myself on this one. Uh, that's what I thought. You know, hey, I, I've, you know, I've been wrong before, even though I thought I was mistaken once, but I was mistaken. But I've, I've, I have been wrong before. Not often. You're, you're, you're right. And, you know, let's end on this. I, I just get the sense, you know, we had Lou Trevino on earlier and all the guys that we talked in the off season. Normally we would have a fan fest. It's just this. And, and another thing, Elvis Andrus coming on. I mean, everybody's here to win. I mean, this is, I mean, this is a team under Bob Melvin, under yourself, Darren Bush, all the coaching staff, Everybody, it's one thing. It's about winning baseball games, and and it's about winning a championship. It's got to be refreshing to be around a team like this because it's all about winning the ring. You know when when you know when guys leave their families, and uh, you know the one thing you want to do is you want to come to a place that gives you an opportunity to win. And you know Bob sets you know an unbelievable culture. Uh, where the guys, you know, come together and they want to win. And the organization does a, an amazing job. I mean, just look what they've done in the last two weeks to put together this team. And, you know, it's they, they you look up and, oh, boom, all of a sudden now you're like, all right, all right. They had a plan. They, they got their plan uh, accomplished. Um, you know, unfortunately, it maybe took us to get rid of KD to, to free up some plans, but, uh, they did it. You know, they, they, we got a team that, you know, we feel pretty good about, uh, and, and, you know, those guys, they know Elvis and Moreland and, and Rosenthal, they're going to blend in. Uh, how, uh, I, I don't think it, it's easy not to, when you got Chappie, you know, Chappie knows how to get these guys and Pinder and, and Ole and, and Bassett and Sean Manaya. They're unbelievable leaders and, and you know just to watch our guys root for each other during games is awesome to me I mean you know I I, I say a lot about the pitchers you know like uh, a Bassett and Manaya for me are just unbelievable uh really unbelievable teammates when it comes to 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 rooting for their guys and and it feeds and then you've got other guys other pitchers rooting for guys not that uh, you know, you you don't want to root for your guys, but I think our guys truly, truly root for one another. It's healthy competition to outshine somebody else, and it, it's just such a great atmosphere. It's, it's great to be a part of, and our guys, you know, I just I just love watching them compete each and every day. Did you guys get hit by the snow in North Carolina? 
I didn't. I was gone, Tony. You know, it's like when I leave North Carolina, the weather gets bad. And I'm like, okay with that, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm from Phoenix. So when I get here, I'm like, oh, you know, talking to my wife. How was it? Oh, 72, man. A little, little, little chilly. How was it back there? Oh, 41 and raining. It rained, though, like two weeks. The last two weeks I was at home, I was like, dang, where am I here? You know, so. So basically, when the weather gets bad, you say good luck to the wife and dog. Yep, I'm out. My dog will take care of the wife, and my wife, she likes the weather changes. You know, I'm like, you know, I want just, I want, I want the sun to stay up till nine o'clock at night, and and the sun to come back up at six in the morning. That's how I'd love it. But uh, when it starts getting dark at five o'clock, you're like, oh man, Gotham City. I want to go to bed or something. Oh, it's horrible. Emo, you're the best, my friend. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. The great Scott Emerson. Nobody better. I mean, seriously, nobody better. He will have a media career someday. I don't know when. I I, I think he never wants to take off the uniform. But the minute he wants to take off the uniform, he's got a media career. I agree, and he uh, he also didn't say yes or no to the AJ Puck situation. So I mean, your theory, your theory is is might be riding high. You're, so you're telling there me there's a chance happened around here. Uh, I maybe next time because I want to see how it plays out. One thing I I'd like to hear from him because the whole positionless pitching staff thing is that whole thing the Rays are doing and what he would think about that. And that's something we could see multiple teams do this year because. It's fascinating to me, at least. Here's the bottom line. A.J. Puck has not been able to stay healthy as a starter. That's not opinion. That's not your opinion. It's not my opinion. That's just fact. A.J. Puck has helped the A's win games coming out of the bullpen. And if you told me you're going to take this, was he 6'7"? Something I'll, I'll get the exact number, but he's pretty tall. Like he's mini Randy Johnson. He's like six seven, six eight. Six seven. Yeah, you're right. All right, but he's six seven, and he can come out of the bullpen blowing cheese, as Lou Trevino said, cheese balls. If he can come out throwing cheese balls, and he can go eight nine game over. Don't tell me he's not valuable and can't make a lot of money. And he's doing that multiple times a week. You're worth a lot of money. Everybody thinks, oh, every five days. Well, okay. If I'm factoring, it's it's what we talked about with Liam Hendricks in a 60-game schedule. If you factor in more wins than a starter does, aren't you more valuable? If the game is about winning, which it is, if you factor in more wins than a guy that pitches just 10 times, like, yes, Merrill pitched in 26 games. I don't know what the A's record was in those 26 games. I'm assuming it was pretty darn good. Is Aren't you more valuable than a guy that started 9, 10 times? I, I think so. And I, I love the idea of him being a Josh Hader, like I've said before, or Andrew Miller. I'm thinking of guys just from the left-handed, you know, being former left-handed guys that were starters. Hader was a starter. Uh, so was so was Andrew Miller. He was a top prospect, kind of like AJ is. 
and he just couldn't pan out as a starter. I'm not saying AJ's not going to pan out as a starting pitcher. It's just he doesn't have the, the greatest track record of staying healthy. And I looked up his uh, his numbers from 2019 and how hard he throws. I mean, his his fastball average fastball velocity in 2019 when he actually did pitch was 97 miles an hour. That's right around where Josh Hader throws. You're telling me you wouldn't want that coming out of the bullpen a couple times a week for multiple innings? Sign how me tall up. Is Hader? Uh, let me see. Hader is not six seven. No, Hader is six three. So a couple, you know, four inches shorter. Okay, that's a big difference of a guy who's six seven coming down that hill. And by the time he releases the ball, see, that was the thing about Randy Johnson, and the same thing can be said for anybody who's really tall. By the time the ball comes out of your hand, you're so close to the plate, to a hitter, it looks faster than 97. I mean, you got this big guy coming down the mound and lets it go. It's like Dan, Dan Plesak was that way. He's coming down the mound, and he lets that go. That ball's on you like boom, and you're not used to left-handers throwing that hard. Could be it. Yeah, you could be right, Cody. Could be right. I, I hope so. I just looked up um, Hater's average, average fastball velocity. Not last year was ninety five, twenty nineteen, ninety six. So they're pretty similar when it comes to velocity wise. Now we'll see now with AJ coming back from uh, shoulder surgery how it how what his VL looks like. But uh, I'm fascinated by it. This is like the one thing I'm going to follow for for this with the A's. Like that's the one thing I'm following all throughout spring how he progresses as a starter or a reliever. Yeah, you know how baseball, do you want to send him down to Vegas, lengthen him, giving up a bunch of home runs in the in the desert air, or do you want him with the big club winning games for you, closing out games for you, pitching high leverage innings for you? That's what you want. You want the high leverage innings, for me at least. And that's what makes Josh Hader so valuable is his ability to have the high leverage innings and pitch well in those innings. Now, it's a little different because they have Devin Williams in Milwaukee, and, I mean, Hader's been rumored to be traded for the last three offseasons, and he's still there, but I, I just like the value he brings. And we saw how good Andrew Miller was for the Indians and the, and the Cardinals getting in the playoffs and the Indians going to the World Series a few years ago. It's he's a He could be a valuable commodity if he's not, especially if the A's don't do a, a five-man or a six-man rotation uh, like David Force alluded to. He said they're not looking at that right now the other day. They got a lot of depth. Coming up next, A's broadcaster, and also from ESPN and the Pac-12 Network, Roxy Bernstein right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. So if you didn't know already, uh, Tommy, spring training tickets are on sale for games in Arizona. Now, they went on sale last week, and they remain on sale. You can find them at athletics.com slash spring. But what the A's are doing also, well, they're providing complimentary tickets to vaccinated healthcare workers for all home games, which is great. So if you're looking for tickets for spring training, you want to go down to Arizona, go to athletics.com slash spring to look for your tickets today. God, what I'd give to go. It was fun last year. Ah, uh, just to go to a baseball game? Oh. You want, would it be it'd be incredible? Now in that promo, Jed Lowry talked about being excited to returning to Oakland. There's another return that just happened while we were talking to Emo. Brett Gardner is back with the New York Yankees. Is he really? Yeah. So we can see. Well, 
Buying or selling, we'll see him beat up the dugout again with the bat this year. Good for him, man. What is he, like 39, 40? Yeah, uh, he's up there. And I saw a stat from um, uh, Baseball Reference tweeted out. Since like 2013 or something like that, I fr- he has the third highest war among AL outfielders behind only Mookie Betts and or Trout and Mookie Betts. That's incredible for if you think about Brett Gard- for what Brett Gardner has meant to the Yankees. Hey, you may not like him, but you know what? Hey, the guy plays hard. Guy's had a great career. We talk about and G- play as long as you can. We talk about Jeter being Mr. Yankee. I mean, I don't know. Brett Gardner's been there a long time. <laughs> Earlier today, we caught up with our buddy Roxy Bernstein, who we'll catch up with every single Friday, and we'll always be talking about Saturday Game of the Week on ESPN, which he will be calling on ESPN Radio. Well, it's a Friday. That means it's a Roxy Bernstein day. Of course, once we get this baseball season rocking, Roxy's going to be doing Saturday baseball for ESPN. He'll be doing some Sunday night baseball. And uh, we'll always be previewing the games he is going to have because he's going to have the biggest games on Saturday. Roxy, how are you on a Friday? We're good, Uncle Tony. You know, I'm thrust right now in the backstretch of the college hoop season. And certainly a busy time, but spring training, pitchers and catchers have reported. It's an exciting time right now. Yeah, yeah. You don't have one. You have two college basketball games tomorrow. And my commute is really challenging tomorrow because I'm calling them both from my house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's unfortunately, as you you and I have talked about, that's been the norm. And the majority of my games I've been doing from right here at home. Like last night, I called the Oregon-Colorado game in Eugene from my house. Wednesday, I had USC against Arizona State. And it's, I guess, part of the dynamic and, and the way everything is right now. And, look, I just turned my home television system on. I step out of the way. People do what they got to do. And I just throw the headset on. Let's, let's talk some hoops. I, I got to think the, the line – for the bathroom at your house is much shorter than at the arena. Uh, you'd be surprised sometimes if the kids have to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's first get into the A's real quick because uh, obviously you're still an, an A's broadcaster. We'll be doing some play-by-play for the A's. Uh, we get Mike Fires is finally official. Uh, yes, Mero Petit, Sergio Romo. Then all of a sudden you hear – Trevor Rosenthal, Mitch Moreland. What do you think about these moves for the A's? As we keep saying, trust the process. Well, when you look at the roster, this team got a lot better yesterday than it was 48 hours earlier, wouldn't you say? With the signings, or at least what appears to be the signings of Rosenthal and Moreland joining the team. And it's funny, I asked a baseball insider a few weeks ago and you know, what are the A's going to do now for a closer? I was texting with him, and and you see any chance the A's grab Rosenthal? He goes, no chance. Well, sure enough, Trevor Rosenthal, the one-year deal to come to the A's, and I think it's a magnificent move by, by Billy and David to get a proven closer in there at the back end. Um, and what was looking like an area of concern is now a strength, wouldn't you say, with Rosenthal closing games out, you have Diekman, um, Trevino showed a lot of promise, I think, last year in taking a step back in the right direction 
when Delkin's gotten some big outs for you, you bring back Yusmero Petit, who was critical because he's as good as anybody getting out of those tough jams and, and being a bridge guy. Sergio Romo brings that experience. We talked about Caleric last week and the impact that he can have. The A's all of a sudden went from some questions now to one of the stronger bullpens, at least in my eyes, in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we went from a standpoint of nothing happening, absolutely mm-hmm. nothing happening, to you added Fires, who, who was 26-9 and nine as an A, dominant at the Coliseum, and, and, you ba- and you backed up the bullpen, and you just go, Roxy, let's get her going. Well, and all of a sudden, look, Certainly there's some frustration. Everybody would have loved to have had Marcus Simeon back, considering the impact he's had. But it wasn't realistic. And now when you look at what Billy and David have done to reshape this roster, so essentially you turned Marcus Simeon and Chris Davis into Elvis Andrus, Trevor Rosenthal, Mitch Moreland, Mike Fires, Sergio Romo, and Yusmero Petit, plus you saved money. And I – as painful as it may be to lose a couple of key guys who were certainly influential in the A's, getting to the postseason, winning the division last year, and winning around against the White Sox and making it to the division series. But you'd have to say these are pretty good moves in the way you're able to retool this roster and do it where it's financially responsible as well. Yeah, I mean, that this is what these guys do. That's why I keep saying trust the process. You know, they're going for the playoffs for the fourth straight year, and I'm excited. And and think about, you know, last year what the Rays showed us. Twelve different guys during the regular season, add 13 during the postseason, 13 different guys to get a save. And I start looking at this bullpen. Roxy, look how many guys in this bullpen could go out there and get you a save. There's no question, and the guys have done it on the biggest stage. And certainly Rosenthal and how lights out he was for San Diego once he was picked up by the Padres last year. But we've seen Diekman do it. Uh, Yusmero Petit has shown the ability that if he's needed in a pinch, he can do it. Sergio Romo clearly has done it in his major league career. So Bob Melvin's got a lot of options. And then, you know, you look at, I know they're trying to stretch out A.J. Puck to see exactly what they're going to do with him. But that could be an option. When Delkin certainly got the stuff, Trevino has the stuff as well to be called upon to close out a game if needed. And there's a lot of depth now in this pitching staff. And you bring Fires back to bring a veteran presence. But, okay, what are you going to do with Puck? Dalton Jeffries is coming along as well. Could factor in somewhere for the A's. I really like the mix that the A's have in the bullpen and in the rotation. And then you have a guy like A.J. Puck who can, who can do both if needed. And I think about the left-handed bat. We've been talking about, well, it's a really a right-handed dominant lineup. They need a left-handed bat, and they go out and they get Mitch Moreland. It's not official, I get it, but Mitch Moreland coming in. Wasn't fabulous last year, uh, but did play well for the Boston Red Sox uh, for, for 22 games. And it gives you more flexibility. And that's what Bob Milvin talks about all the time. It's like, okay, at DH, first base, can Canna now just play more left field? I mean, it gives another left-handed bat with some power. Now this gives Bob a little more options. 
It does. And this fits in what the A's do, right? To have options for Bob Melvin. And if he wants to give Matt Olson a day off, Mitch Moreland is more than a competent defensive first baseman. Now, Olson's the best defensive first baseman in the game, but Mitch Moreland's pretty darn good also. And so that's a nice luxury for Bob to have. Okay, we're going to give you know, a half a day off or Olson may DH, and you can play Moreland at first base. And the flexibility is critical, especially the way that we know the A's and Bob want to run games. And with you know the different options at second base, we'll see what happens with Jed Lowry, but with Chad Pinder, the more versatility you give Bob Melvin, the, the bigger benefit is going to be to run this roster. And that's what Moreland can do for you. And the options that he has right now, I think, make Bob a lot more comfortable with his team, where before, I'm not saying he was uncomfortable with the group he had, but this clearly puts Bob at ease with now more choices to make. What did you think of the Fernando Tatis Jr. 14-year guaranteed over $300 million deal? Pretty good if you can get it, right? I mean, this is, this is a guy, Chris, he hasn't played a full major league season yet. Now, the Padres are, are taking a risk, and, you know, Tatis is probably giving up some money as well in the long run, but in the, in the short term, it clearly benefits him. He's getting the money now, and for the Padres, they have the security of the prospect and one of the best, uh, more entertaining guys in baseball, the attractions that people want to come and see eventually when we get back into ballparks. It's a win-win for both. But think about it, 14 years, Chris, 14 years, the contract. My daughter's not even 14 yet. <laughs> you know, and, and by the time she this contract will be over, she'll be well out of college, and she'll even have time to go to grad school if she wants. Well, it's crazy. I, I, if, if I'm going to say one thing that I like about it, because I don't want to be a hypocrite because I mm-hmm. hate I, I hate the big contracts because the majority of them don't work because you're buying players as they get older. If there's one thing I like about this deal, you know, 340 million, 14 years, you're buying you're buying before his prime, yep. his prime. So, I mean, you're thinking about you're getting him as a great young player and then you're buying his prime years. You're not buying him to 42. You're just buying him to 36. And I feel better about buying a contract like this. If I'm AJ Preller and the Padres, I feel better about investing the money in a position player than I do a pitcher, right? Because we've seen how many flashes in the pan of pitchers that blow out their arms. And after three, four years, you're dreading it. And you still have 10 more years to go on the contract with a position player. Yeah, there's some risk and he could run into some injury problems. Everybody's got that risk. But I I feel more comfortable, at least if I was in their position, with a position player like Tatis Jr., as opposed to giving this money, this extended contract to a pitcher. But with Tatis, look, we've seen it, right? The the brilliance, and he's just scratching the surface now of what he can become. And just a a thrilling, exciting player. Yeah, he catches some flack for the, the pimp jobs on the home runs and that's fine, but he plays the game with a flair and excitement and a passion. I think that a lot of people gravitate toward, and it's an investment for the Padres. They know that over the years, people are going to come watch Tatis because he's a draw. He's an attraction and they're going to recoup that money. And I think it's going to pay big dividends for them as well at the gate. Uh, Hard to believe 
the kind of money the Padres, and we're not talking about the Yankees, we're not talking about the Red Sox, we're not talking about the Dodgers, the kind of money the Padres, I mean, you've got a $300 million, $300 million contract with Manny Machado. I don't remember if it's like 140 or whatever it is with Hosmer, but who would ever thought they would be spending that kind of money? Look, you grew up there. You know this better than anybody. And how aggressive that they've been, we've never seen this from a Padres team before. And, and they're somewhat of a small market team, wouldn't you say? So for them to yeah. make this financial investment and commitment, I think it raises a lot of eyebrows around baseball. And just look at all the moves that they've made. You alluded to it, all right? You bring in you Darvish. You have Blake Snell there, there, plus the other pitchers that were there. You just picked up Mark Melanson the other day to add to your bullpen. And then with the position players you have and some of the moves you've made, you made the trade with the Mariners. You bring in Austin Nolan. You have Victor Caratini and the deal with the Cubs behind the plate. Um, it's just one move after the next that they've made. It's been really impressive. Hosmer is still there. Um, Will Myers has been there for a long time. They made the deal with the Rays to get Tommy Pham before. This is a loaded team, and it's clear that they're trying to catch the Dodgers. Where other teams in the in the NLS, for example, the Rockies, they trade Nolan Arenado. They're clearly in rebuild mode, and they know they can't compete in the immediate future with what the Dodgers have. And the Giants are trying to get to that position to compete, but they've got a long way to go as well. But San Diego, they're going for it. And, okay, even if you don't win the division, we know you. there's the wild card that can help you get in. And this is a dangerous team, even if they don't happen to win the division. And the Dodgers clearly have been aggressive as well with the moves that they made. But I don't, I don't think it's any best teams in the National League when you look at the Dodgers and the Padres rosters. You know, he won't be seeing the entire amount. Uh, there, there's a fantastic article by Ken Rosenthal. Uh, the company Big League Advance, instead of investing in businesses and properties, they've invested in players. So they go look at younger players, like minor leaguers, who they're gonna who they're gonna be stars, and they can give them I don't know, fifty grand, two hundred and fifty, maybe a couple million, whatever. And then if this guy ever hits. They're going to get a percentage of his contract. I don't know what that percentage is, but Fernando Tatis took the deal with Big League Advance. So part of this contract is going to be going to this company, and uh, this company made a bet, and their bet is going to pay off. It's fascinating. It really is. In a lot of ways, it's like an agent, right, where they're trying to pick these guys to the minor leagues, hoping that, that player is going to hit. Well, it's the same thing here. And this is a financial windfall for them. And, and I know what you're talking about. It's just fascinating and the mindset of people trying to stay ahead of the curve and, and get involved. And well, you're right. It's such a financial win for this company. And you don't need all of them to pay off. Yes, okay, you're going you're gonna to take the short end of the stick on a number of these gambles that you make. But you get that one that can be the big splash. And clearly with Tatis, who is 22 years of age, that a 14-year contract in the limited season we saw last year. Think about the production that he had. In 59 games, he drove in 45 runs and had 17 home runs. And he's played 143 major league games. That's it. 
and he gets this huge, monstrous contract. Now, he's produced in those 143 games with 39 home runs, and he's driven in uh, close to 100 runs. But it is just fascinating to think about the whole process with Fernando Tatis Jr. and what he went through. And then he came up big clearly in that first-round series uh, against the Cardinals last year. Struggled a bit against the Dodgers, but, you know, it was a brief three-game series. But he's, he's just scratching the surface with what he can do. You know, we're going over the NL West right now on A's Cast Live, and today is the Giants, and you think about their season. Uh, really, the main thing is the big money that's going to be coming off the books after this year when you look at Posey's 21.4, Cueto 21, Crawford 15, Belt 16. I mean, isn't that really going to be the story of the season here is not 2021, but how much money are you going to have to spend in 2022 when hopefully business is back to usual? No, no question that they have to try to get out from underneath these contracts. And that's been the chore for Farhan since he took over because he was saddled with all these bad deals, which you talked about. Now they did add, you know, former a Tommy Listella, but they just have to wait for these contracts to play out with, with Crawford and Longoria. And we'll see what Posey's got after opting out last season. But some of the key guys, you know, they bring Yastrzemski back and, and give him some money. Uh, they signed Jake McGee to be the closer. They brought Kevin Gosman back. Uh, they still have the Cueto deal they're working through. But they, what, what they need to figure out, and I think you and I have hit on this before, Chris, is who's going to be part of the solution when we move forward, right? Which guys are going to be part of the core when we win again? And which young guys are going to be able to contribute. And I think that's, they're still a little ways off from figuring that out. We got, for example, we got to see Joey Bart last season briefly. Um, and he showed you he's got a little ways to go. But who else for the Giants? And they have some decent prospects coming along. But who is going to be a part of the winning solution when they are ready to win again? And I think we saw that last year for the 2020 season. And I think that's the big goal for 2021 because Farhan looks at this realistically, right, Chris? He knows they have no chance to compete with the Dodgers and no chance to compete with the Padres right now. It's all about trying to turn over this roster, maybe to look toward 2023 and 24 when they can finally look to compete. Yeah, I got to think Rockies, D-backs, Giants, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're staring at you're staring at the Dodgers and I mean, at some point, Bellinger's got to get paid. But you're, yep. you're staring at the Dodgers. You're staring at the Padres. The, the, these two teams are not going to be bad anytime soon. No, no. And that's why you have to look at it big picture. And the Giants need to be patient. Farhan, look, we know Farhan can be a patient guy. And he, he knows what he's up against with these contracts. And it's going to take some creativity on his part if he can move any of those. But he's got to look at the big picture, and you hope the front office supports him in terms of allowing him to do that, at least on the business side. And the ownership allows Farhan to take this with a patient approach. And, I, I, look, I've seen it firsthand. Now, I've seen a lot of transitions happen sooner. For example, look, you know, in my previous life for me, I worked for the Marlins. And after the 2005 season, they got rid of and shed themselves of those big contracts. Guys like Carlos Delgado and Juan Pierre, Juan Encarnacion, Paul LaDuca, Mike Lowell. 
on and on, Josh Beckett, A.J. Burnett, because they had to do what they termed as a market correction. But they were creative in the way they did it. And Larry Beinfest, who was the GM at the time, and Michael Hill, who was his right hand, and now Michael Hill works for Major League Baseball. But they were able to spin that thing quickly to go out, guys like Hanley Ramirez and Dan Ugla, and were able to keep a young Miguel Cabrera for a while and add some pitchers like Josh Johnson and Scott Olson and Ricky Nolasco to uh, a, a rotation that already had a Dontrell Willis. And you mix in some key veterans. And I think that's the goal for Farhan. Now he doesn't have the pieces to be able to, to get those talented prospects back. But I think that has to be the goal and figure out. And that was the thing that the Marlins were trying to figure out at the time. Who's going to be here when we are ready to win again? And that's the goal for the Giants. Will your beloved Marlins, after the making the playoffs, 60 games, would you buy stock in the Marlins for 162 in 2021? I think they got a shot. Now, I don't think they can win the division. But they have some young, talented arms, Chris, that give them that opportunity to compete. When you look at Sandy Alcantara, Sixto Sanchez, who they're really high on, I think Pablo Lopez has has a future as well. Um, they made some moves in the bullpen. They got Dylan Floro from the Dodgers. Uh, Anthony Bass is out there. But they have some pieces to build around. And they need some of these guys to, to step up and contribute. And, you know, they made a move like, People question when they picked up Starling Marte last year. What are they trying to do? It was right after they made a move to get rid of somebody. Uh, but they do have a nice young nucleus to compete. And we've seen the Mets are going to spend money. The Braves are certainly the team to beat in that division, although Washington, where the Nationals are at. To me, there is not uh, as a huge a gap in the NL East as there is in the NL West. Right In the NL West, there is a huge gap between two and three where I don't think the gap is as wide in the NL East. And the the Marlins, I think, caught lightning in a bottle last year. They found a way to get to the postseason in a 60-game season. I think it's more challenging in a full season. But they're trying to build that thing for the long haul. And people were critical of Derek Jeter, and I think he deserved some of that criticism early on. But now if you you take a look at this from the, you know, 30,000-foot view, and they're going about this the right way, and, and they've got some pieces to compete. All right, Roxy, do you know your first game? I think, I'm not 100% sure, but opening day, I believe I will have the Mets and the Nationals. I believe that is our game on opening day. Well, Scherzer with a bad ankle. Hopefully he'll be on the mound for that one. Yeah, and it's not going to be Trevor Bauer. The Mets thought they were getting him. All right, buddy. Every Friday, we'll be previewing your game of the week on ESPN Saturday Baseball. And, of course, you'll be doing Sunday Night Baseball and baseball during the week. Be well. Be safe. We'll talk to you next Friday. All right, Uncle Townie. Stay well. Every Friday. Can't wait. I love how optimistic he is about my Marlins. Maybe not this year, but going forward, the fish will be a, a power to be reckoned with in the NL East. You got time for some buying or selling? Yeah, we got a, we got a couple minutes, so let me. You want the music, or you just want me to ask? Just go. All right, here I'll just I'll play the music. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, I'll, I'll make this rather quick. Uh, the Red Sox made another offseason trade last week. We never really touched on that much. 
Last year they traded Mookie Betts, and he turned out to be, I don't know, pretty, pretty, pretty good for the Dodgers. Uh, they let Jackie Bradley Jr. walk this year in free agency, which I still don't think he signed anywhere. And Wednesday of last week, they traded Andrew Benintendi at the age of 26 to the Kansas City Royals. Now, coming up two down seasons after a very good 27 and 2017-2018, Tom Verducci was comparing Benintendi to Darren Erstad entering his age 26 season. Buying or selling the Red Sox will regret trading Andrew Benintendi. Selling. Fernando Tatis Jr. signed the third largest contract ever on Wednesday, 14 years for $340 million. It's been a great offseason for the Friars, but a lot of people I saw on Twitter were asking, how can the Padres afford two $300 million guys? It's why- a great question. <laughs> and why would he want to stay in San Diego? Well, the one tweet I took a lot of exception to was our good friend Paul Hembikides, Hembo, an East Coast uh, native, tweeted on Thursday, Fernando Tatis Jr. playing the next 14 years in the country's number 27 media market on the West Coast is an objectively bad thing for baseball. This sounds like a typical East Coast guy who can't stay stay up and watch him play or because he isn't playing for the Yankees, Red Sox, or his beloved Philadelphia Phillies. Buying or selling Fernando Tatis Jr. signing long-term in San Diego is bad for baseball. I will sell. I'll say the same thing for, like, Christian Yelich in Milwaukee. Spread the wealth. I mean, bottom line, does everybody have to play for either the Yankees, Red Sox, or Mets? I mean, you got Bryce Harper. Oh, that's right. That's not really must-see TV anymore. These East Coast people, they just think everything in sports is around them. But let me ask you. Is there any team in the East bigger than the Dallas Cowboys? Is there any team East bigger than the Warriors or the Lakers? It's like, it's amazing when they want to pick and choose the East Coast bias. Exactly. And and, and if you're just telling me, well, uh, you know, Mike Trout, well, he plays for the Angels. Well, well, we get to see him every game. That sucks to be you. I mean, I, I don't care. Hey, by the way. If you want to make, like, I mean, give me a great Yankee, like Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter kicks his games off at 4 o'clock. Most of us are at work. Yeah. By the time we get home in traffic, the game's up almost over. Yeah. So, like, I don't get that. I Like, well, if they don't play in the East, no one's going to see them. It's like a stupid Heisman Trophy vote. I mean, it's like it's, stu- it's good for great players to be all around baseball. It was not bad for Ken Griffey Jr. to be in Seattle. It's not bad for a great player to be in Texas or the Midwest. or I mean, has it ever been bad for, for, for a great player to be in L.A.? No, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, too. Uh, oh, wait, 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 here, let me get like, – you know what, get, get Nimbo on. So, wait a minute. LeBron James and the Lakers kick off around what, 740? Yeah, so it's 1040 on the East. But yet you on ESPN talk about him every single morning on the show Get Up, and you talk about LeBron every single day, all day long, even though you guys don't see him play because you're asleep. Yeah, and you look at the best stars in baseball anymore people talk about. People love Tatis. They like Machado. They talk about Bellinger. They talk about Betts. They talk about Mike Trout, Matt Chapman, all the, Kyle Lewis in Seattle, all these guys that people talk about a lot now. They're all on the West Coast. I don't hear people going, well, you know, I, I man, I missed Aaron Judge play last night. It's because he doesn't play. He's never healthy. <laughs> and Bryce Harper, yeah, I, I'm a big Bryce Harper guy, but he, the Phillies stink. So I don't. I, I disagree with Hembo on that, too. I think it's just the East Coast bias and in full effect. But 
the last one I'll ask you quickly. Um, so speaking of the long-term deals, there are a few players that can still get mega deals. So, Juan Soto, Seager, Bellinger, Correa, Story, the aforementioned Aaron Judge, who never stays healthy. Trey Turner, another guy that gets hurt a little bit. And then, But I looked at Soto being the most fascinating because he's 22 and they have him ranked as the fifth best player in baseball. Buying or selling, Juan Soto will be the next player to sign a major contract extension. Where's Bellinger? He's got only two years left. I think so. Well, this is his second year of arbitration, if I'm not if if I remember correctly. I'll sell. I'll go Bellinger. Yeah, Bellinger's twenty. They're going to get paid. I mean, come on, both are going to make a lot of money. Yeah, Bellinger's twenty five, and he will be a free agent, and uh, he's free agent eligible in twenty twenty four. So same year, same year as Soto. Ooh, interesting. It's going to be fascinating because remember, there's rumors last year that. The Nationals are trying to move forward with Soto getting a contract extension, and it never happened. So, What's the difference between Soto and Bellinger? Not as players. Uh, oh, I know what it is. Soto's on the East Coast, and Bellinger's on the West Coast. No. <laughs> um, well, they're both left-handed, so that is, that's out. I don't know. What is it? Washington has more players locked up long-term than L.A. does. That's true. L.A. doesn't have anyone after 2022. Literally no one, except for Mookie. No, they have bets. Yeah, that's it. This Mookie. you got Strasburg. Uh, you got Scherzer. I mean, you've got multiple guys. Corbin, too, I believe. I think Corbin has a deal. Be, it's a couple more years left. But, yeah, you're going to lock up Soto. You're, I mean, both these guys are going to make both these guys will make over $300 million. Oh, yeah, I don't doubt that one uh, at all. I think Bellinger and, will get closer to what Machado And you know, you know what will be interesting is Trout will be the bar. Trout will – everybody will be – have to be below Trout. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, who would pay – I mean, we've seen in sports where the best player doesn't get paid. I mean, Tom Brady doesn't get paid uh, the, biggest, the biggest amount of money to be the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I think Jimmy Garoppolo makes more money than he does, so uh. – Take that, take that where you want to put put it. I mean, if you get to a point, if you're going above Trout, you're getting to the $500 million range. Which is a lot. A lot of money. Which is insane. And it's all guaranteed. It's all guaranteed. Good show, Cody. I miss you during vacation. Yeah, it was, it was weird not talking to you, but... I'm glad we kept in touch. I'm glad we're back because baseball, opening day, April 1st. And there's rumors out here. Bob Nightingale was tweeting about, uh, you know, California's optimistic. They're going to be able to open with some fans in the stands for opening day. So we'll see. Oh, God, that would be great. All right, we'll be back on Monday. Everybody enjoy A's Cast. Be safe. We'll see you Monday from 1 to 4. Thank you for listening to A's Cast Live, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 